The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Welcome to the Axe Playlist Podcast, where we break down barriers through themed playlists. I want to create, share, and discuss the perfect listens. Featuring myself, the Axe, welcoming back my arm candy, <laughs> Chuck, and welcoming for the very first time, Sai, who's going to bring a very lovely accent to support the, today's listen. Mr. Sai oh, Powell from SJP World Media. Well, I don't know about lovely accent, but thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> <laughs> All of the people over here that are going to listen are going to be a little bit jealous that I'm talking to a British guy right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. where, where I'm from in, in England, it's very much uh, down south on the border of Wales. So it's uh, to, to anyone else in the UK, where I am, it's sort of, sort of like below Bristol and, and well, Gloucester is where I live. It's very much farm country. So to everyone around, I sound like a farmer. <laughs> so there's different dialects of your accent in your own country. Oh, it's insane. I mean, we're, we're, we're in theory, we're a tiny, tiny little island. But you think where I am um, in Gloucester, it's not Midlands, but it's sort of, you know, safe of the middle of the country, shall we say. If you go, I don't know, 90 minutes to the, to the one direction, you're in Wales, and that's a completely different accent. If you go slightly north of us, you're in Birmingham, and that's a completely different accent. You go, I don't know, a couple of hours to the other side, you're heading towards London, and that's a completely different accent. And then even just below us, you've got the likes of Cornwall and so on, and that's a different accent again. And when you start heading into the north, which is maybe three, three and a half hours away, so you're talking Liverpool, Manchester, those kind of places, they're all completely different accents as well. (laughs) I I put it down to us being invaded so much. There you go. So do you speak any Welsh if you're really close to Wales? No, I don't. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> and where, where I work, I um, I work with like automatic doors and so on. So we sell a lot and supply a lot into Wales because it is just over, the, just over the river. So most of our labels that we have to stick on them have English and Welsh. Oh, cool. And it just, lo- it just looks like gobbledygook. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'm already lost. I don't know what's going on. We, so like in the, in the United States, we have a lot of different accents too. Sure. But Ohio, which is where we're from, is mm-hmm. we are notorious for having no accents or like, okay. yeah, because like the East Coast has this really like, I, like New York. Yeah. Like New York and Boston. We pack the yeah. car. Right. Boston to her mom. Yeah. Like there's a guy that I work with, but we work virtually and I knew he's based in Vegas, but I was like, you are not from Vegas. It you sound like the East Coast. What's going on with your mouth? And <laughs> he admitted to me that he was from like New England or Rhode Island or one of those. And then, but I was born in Kentucky where it was a very, it's very Southern. Yeah, been to get the Southern mm-hmm. accents. Yeah. So like yeah. sometimes that slips out and I try really hard to walk it back in. <laughs> it does slip out. I have an issue uh, and it's not necessarily an accent thing, but people will probably notice it as we talk. I have an issue with not being able to properly pronounce the, the TH sound. So when people say, I, I think, mine comes out like an F. Oh, yeah. Oh, so it, it's something I've done ever since, I was a, ever since I was a kid. And my dad used to just slaughter me about it all the time. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't see the big deal as a kid. But now I'm 41 years of age. 
and I'm podcasting a great deal, I play my stuff back to like edit it and so on. And I cringe at how I sound when I'm pronouncing I think or, or what do you think or what are your thoughts? And it's, it just comes out as an F all the time and it makes me cringe. So. That's, <laughs> That's awesome. I, I never noticed it. Yeah. No, oh, good. Like Adele. Hey, I've listened to her talk. She does that. Oh, does she? <laughs> yeah. She's Canadian though. No, she's not. Oh, I just make things up sometimes. <laughs> God love you. <ya. laughs> so yeah, so tonight's listen is something that created was created by Sai, and it's a uh, the top fifteen songs for Iron Maiden, all his picks. Yes, yeah, it's uh, it's not the hits. It's not like the the greatest hits or the best of or anything. Like that. It's more so songs that I, I, I tried to sort of span their career because they've been going a bloody long time let's be honest <laughs> yeah and um i mean the first album was released in 1980 so that's even older than me but yeah it's, it's, been, go, it's been going a long time and maiden sounds like maiden but there's still i think different different periods of the band that sound different depending on when things were released who was in the band at the time what yes. was going on in the music scene around them and so I tried to sort of have a bit from the beginning, a bit from the middle, a bit sort of towards the end with regards to dates and times and so on. Uh, but also I've gone more so for songs that mean something to me, whether it's just that I think they're an absolute banger or there's like a story attached to it with regards to going to see the band live or growing up as a Maiden fan in the UK and so on. So, yeah, that's kind of how I came to these 15 songs. And there is no Run to the Hills. There is no Number of the Beast. There is no songs that people would expect. But I kind of... As a Maiden fan for bloody hell, 30 years now, those songs almost become like the Ace of Spades is to Motorhead. Sure. In that I'm a massive Motorhead fan. I absolutely adore Motorhead. And they were they were going 40-odd years. God knows how many albums. 27 albums or something stupid like that. But you say to somebody Motorhead, they think the Ace of Spades. Right. And as a Motorhead fan, that's frustrating. So with Iron Maiden, you say <laughs> Iron Maiden, people say Run to the Hills. And it's like, well, there is a lot more to the band than just that 1982 single so sure that's awesome it makes total sense no that's the song that i like connect with um so i we briefly talked before we started recording my little brother's favorite band was iron maiden mm -hmm. um he's no longer with us but when he convinced me to become a fan um i, I the only two songs i would let him play <laughs> those who you just said are, are um run to the hills and um uh, number of the beast uh but so run to the hills we actually had like a car dance too so like we would be driving and we did like a like run to the hills yeah. and then we do like the drums and then i actually have in uh in um nordic runes i have a tattoo on my arm that i can show you because we're on camera kind of it, wait wait okay there yeah there it is and yep. it says run to the hills crap i can't figure out how to line it up it's over here i'll show you more when we're like off not recording. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, but it's like right here, and it says in Nordic runes, run to the hills. But nobody else knows what it means if they can't read the runes. If they haven't read like Lord of the Rings, then they can't They can't read my tattoo. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay, so I would have a clue, because I've never seen Lord of the Rings. So I'm, 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 oh, you lucky man. <laughs> We're going to watch the extended Return of the King later, actually. Uh, glad I bought beer uh, this morning. Okay. They're very long, aren't they, from what I remember? Aren't they, does it, will it take about 10 hours to get through all of them? Is that correct? Or even uh, longer? If they're, so if you watch the extendeds which is what i insist on they they're about four hours a piece yeah, they're like four hours of fun so it's does. like 12 it's about 12 hours um if you do but then there's also the extended hobbits 
And then right. there's also the hour-long episodes of Rings of Power. Which is new on Amazon. <laughs> so that's eight hours of content. <laughs> wow, okay. But the thing is, uh, it's funny because uh, I could completely contradict myself, I suppose, because I'll, I'll sit there and I'll say to my mates, my friends, I, I, no, I don't want to watch that. That's, that's four hours long. That's five hours long. That's too much. I'm not exactly a big film buff anyway, but I'll be, I'll be, no, that's too long. But I'll happily sit there and watch a six-hour wrestling event. No I sure. was getting ready to say, <laughs> so, but you'll watch wrestling. <laughs> I get it. That's what he does. <laughs> I completely understand where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah, so no, I'm actually really impressed with your list. I told I told Ben, or I'm sorry, Chuck, before uh, we started, like, like right before we started listening, I was like, I'm kind of judging a little bit. I... I'm going to figure out what kind of bond Sai and I will have based <laughs> okay. on what he sends. She really wants to be friends with you because you're from the UK. That's not only why. <laughs> hey, I'll take it. I'll take, I collect exotic friends. <laughs> um, trust me, I'm not. I'm far from exotic. <laughs> you are based on where we are. But no, I'm, I, I really appreciated, I, I really respected the fact that you didn't put on um, run to the hills or uh, or the number of the beast because that, that those are the two that everybody automatically mm. thinks of. To be fair, like the only reason that I knew them is because those were the only two I would allow my brother to play because I was like he's like just listen to one and I'm like okay fine and he I was like I want to listen to the one that Pearl Jam played <laughs> on their DVD <laughs> that I watched four times a year and he's like all right fine so he played me that one and I was like actually I really like this you can have one more and then <laughs> and then you can have no more <laughs> uh, but you actually do have a few on here that he he also really liked um and I'm really pumped to talk about it so we start with uh Phantom of the Opera yes off of Iron Maiden the self-titled album that was released in 1980 that was their first album that's correct, yeah. It's perfect. So tell me about that. Yeah. Well, uh, for me, it's... Uh, I, I heard these earlier albums with, with Paul Diano singing. The first two albums, Killers and uh, the, the self-titled debut Iron Maiden. Paul Diano was the vocalist. And he was very much influenced by, I suppose, the punk sound at the time. He's got quite a punk voice. Rather than when, when we get into the likes of Bruce Dickinson in, in later albums, he's got a proper, uh, you know, the, the definitive heavy metal Iron Maiden soaring vocals, I guess. Yeah. Diano's quite, got, got almost this quite punky sound to his to his voice. And at the time, when this came out in 1980, obviously I, I'm not old enough to remember this firsthand, but this is what my uncle has told me about because he's he was around at this stage and so on. It was a case of a lot of heavy metal bands were quite the the heavy metal scene was quite bloated. It was the likes of Sabbath, Deep Purple, and so on, massive names, but they'd been around for a, a decade or so, and it was, it was all basically the whole scene was kind of eating itself. It was massive and bloated, and was getting further away from what made Sabbath so successful in the late sixties and so on. And then Iron Maiden came along, and it was faster and more aggressive. And I mean, it wasn't just Maiden. There was this whole movement in the UK uh, called the New Wave of British Heavy Metal, which everyone shortens to, shortens to New Wobbum, which is a stupid name. But that's the New Wobbum. And I mean, there's, there's albums and playlists dedicated to it. And there's bands like Tigers of Pantang and uh, Saxon were a big part of this as well. So th that whole movement was was a big sort of almost rebellion to to the sort of bloated elder statesman of the heavy metal scene in the UK at that time. 
punk also was around punk like came you know late 70s came in was around you know proper proper punk proper old school uk punk not sort of the american skater rock that we sort of come <laughs> we have late in later not that there's anything wrong with that no but it's, but still, it's we'll, different you know, yeah the, the likes of the pistols and all that sort of stuff right and i think that this album and particularly this song you can really hear the the punk influences in diano's vocals but also the, it clocks in at, i don't know six seven eight minutes long and there's yeah. these time changes and you can hear that almost signature sound of, of steve harris's bass like dun, 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 almost like a horse trampling along yeah and then you have the breakdown where the bass co- the bass solo got plays for on repeat and then Dennis Stratton comes in. He only the guitarist who only played on this particular album, their debut album. He left not long after it was released. Oh wow! Dennis Dennis Stratton came in and and starts playing that lead lick over the top, and it builds and it builds. And to me, it's just again trying to tick boxes for different eras of Maiden's career. Uh, with this whole playlist, part of me was thinking I want to put stuff in that means a lot to me, but another part of me was thinking if somebody listens to this who's not heard Iron Maiden before, I want to be able to give them a bit of a taste of everything. Yep, and I've, I think the couple of songs here, uh, in, including this one, "Phantom of the Opera," is a good example of what the early Maiden sounded like. Yeah, it was really, I was really kind of thrilled to listen to it because that history, the fact that they're storytellers, is what I really appreciate about them, and they're very theatrical, but they, it's like they appreciate history and mm-hmm. and they impart. So it's like by performing, they also kind of impart a little bit of wisdom and some yes. passion and i and i do enjoy that about them is like i think it's i think it's kind of like a it's an easy kind of a lazy thing to stereotype a metal band as just being loud right and abrasive mm-hmm. and if you actually like sat down and gave them a chance and and, and yeah and like j- even like with what you did with this playlist if you just listened for a few minutes you get so much out of it and I think you it, you walk out of it with like a I don't know just kind of an experience because it, it, doing this is like oh well maybe I'll watch Phantom of the Opera like the actual show like the Broadway show mm-hmm. maybe I'll learn a little bit about that and be interested in just some of the history that they that they do it's like yeah and, and it's also the the album closer was a big thing back in this era as well and Maiden I think were really big on that because you look at album closers especially throughout the 80s it's these big epic long pieces and phantom of the opera ticks the boxes for that yep. and then you, you have the likes of i mean we'll come to it later on but the likes of fear of the dark and all these big epic album closers and this was all, almost like the first one and it was just this huge musical masterpiece in a way because it just builds and builds and then they cut you off and then it builds again and <laughs> the whole time you've got you've got diano just kind of snarling down the microphone and, and so on i mean th- there's a live version out there that is pretty easy to find up i think it might even be on the live after death album that was released in 85 and it's a recording at long beach arena and i'm fairly certain it's on there and bruce dickinson sings a few tracks from these early days that were Diano vocals. So he sings the likes of Running Three, which nearly made it onto this playlist. But I had to bump it for something else. And uh, <laughs> he sings Phantom of the Opera. And it sounds fantastic because Bruce is by far the superior vocalist. He's, he really he's is. a much better singer than Diano. But there's just something about the way Diano kind of just snarls and almost spits down the microphone and so on. It just really fits for that era. It kind of reminds me like the way that you feel about him the original singer reminds me of like kind of the way i feel about iggy pop 
because he's really kind of rough around the edges. He's unpolished. Mm -hmm. And I think that especially nowadays we get hung up on polished, like really filtered and you know, like unfortunately Spotify only does like remasters. And, but if you, if you just listen to people that are gritty, I think you get more out of the experience because they're willing to be vulnerable in a way because they're not like the Bruce Dickinson's of the world that mm-hmm. can just come out and hold, you know, yeah, and and like just really growl for five minutes and go up and down <laughs> the yeah. whole scale and and make the whole thing like an, an all encompassing experience when they open their mouths. So it's like you know, for people that have to do it raw, it I I do appreciate that kind of vulnerability. Yeah, and when, when the first album came out as well, I mean, there, there was initially something called the Soundhouse Tapes, which was, I suppose, I don't know how you'd word it, an EP, I guess. It was maybe okay. five or six songs. And that was the first, I suppose, real Iron Maiden release. And this is when they were still playing just pubs and clubs in London and then started traveling up and down the UK and we were just getting their start. And a couple of the tracks from these these first two albums made the Soundhouse Tapes recording. I mean, now, if you've got an original version of that, it's worth thousands because there were so few made. I think they only printed maybe 500 in total. Oh, my God. That's, I mean, that's the holy grail. That's that's something I would like. I'd sell one of my children to get. But, um, <laughs> how many children do you have? Let's see how much this is actually worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's uh, some of the tracks on that. And that is really rough and gritty. It's 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 recorded effectively live. They're, they're in a room playing as a band. There's no production levels. And it really is stripped back. And I think that the... The, the first Iron Maiden album, yes, it's more produced than that, but it's still not as polished and produced as the stuff you might get in the mid to late 80s. So you get right. that kind of real early naivety almost from their sound. That's a great way to put it, early naivety. I like that because that's what it is. It's, you know, just we're coming together, we're doing something new, and, you know, we'll see what happens. And we'll trust mm. trusting in the process yes. is like yeah. a big part of it. Scary sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and then that you follow up Phantom of, with Phantom of the Opera with the with Killers. Yeah, it's it's a funny one because my link to the song Killers is more so because of the imagery. Okay. the The album cover itself, Killers. Killers is was released the year I was born. Nice. This was released in eighty one, and that album cover of of Eddie, and to me, it's the first. I mean, Eddie on the original album cover, he's quite thin, his hair's quite short, and so on. The Eddie on the Killers album cover has got the big 80s hair. And his face took more form and and all this sort of stuff. And my parents, when I really got into the band, bought me a a hoodie. And it was this front cover on the hoodie. So I got a special attachment to this particular record. because, And it is a fantastic record. I mean, the the Diano era, the first album has got some real high moments. But I think the second album overall is probably the better record. Mm-hmm. Because the, the the lesser moments aren't as less as on the first album, if that makes sense. I'm not sure if I've explained that very well, but that no, that sounds I get that it. makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And and the, the Killers title track again, it comes back to the sound of the time. Diano, I mean, when he, when he sings the opening lyrics of "You walk through the subway, his eyes burn a hole in your back," he's literally spitting snarling down the microphone with these these this and he creates this imagery of someone being sneaked up sneaked up on down an alleyway and there's a there's somebody out there with a knife um and you know he lunges prepared for attack you scream for mercy and all these these like literally conjures up a picture in your mind it does and it's not just the words it's how they're delivered it's it's sinister it's almost 
I mean, evil is a big term, but it's almost edging towards that way, I think. And it's just, and again, it's fast. It's It's got those punk edges to it, even though it's a heavy metal record. And it's just one that I think from the early days, if people wanted to hear what Iron Maiden sounded like before Bruce Dickinson, this is one of the two or three songs I would put forward. I think I have a killer's like sticker, um, like window cling or something that oh, yeah. I got from record shop day hanging up somewhere. Yeah. Like, cause the way that you kind of talk about the, the image and everything that I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It's hanging up over there. I have, I was like, I know I have it somewhere. <laughs> I've moved it around so much, but I, right. yeah, like it is very, his hair is like, it's poofy, right? Yeah. Yes. It almost looks like he got struck by lightning and then <laughs> it like stuck out, which is probably pretty accurate for the time period. That's what most most long haired people did with their hair. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. No, yeah. I mean, this is this is eighty one, so we're we're hitting. I think the first Motley Crue album came out in eighty one. <laughs> so you see. You we see know, footage of Vince Neil and Nikki Six and all that with their hair all spikes and, and the leather and so on. So maybe it was a bit influenced by that. I don't know. I would argue that it would be. Yeah. Like, I mean, I just feel like the one of the things that you the themes that kind of play through throughout the lifetime of the band, no matter who's who is in it at the time, is that kind of good versus evil, light versus dark mm -hmm. and kind of just like peril, like the borderline of peril and how close people can come to it. And I don't know when you think about like what happened with the first singer, like why he's, you know, was no longer a part of the band. It kind of makes sense for that, for those themes to kind of play mm. a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Yano's an interesting character. He still, he still plays live now. Oh, uh, he still that. plays small little venues and so on, but he's, he's had quite an up and down life. I think he's, I mean, at one stage there was a headline going back a few years ago now that, I mean, I don't know what it would be in the States or even if you have anything that would sort of compare, but over here we have, we have something called incapacity benefit. It, it goes by a different name now, but it used to be called incapacity benefit. And it would basically be, if you can't work, then you, you basically get signed onto this incapacity benefit and the government will help you out with some of your bills and so on. It's almost like a safety net. If, if you can't work for, you know, mental health issues or if you've got a bad back or whatever. Disability. Yeah. We have, we have that disability. Here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, there yep. you go. Right. Uh, Diano was receiving incapacity benefit, which is a very small amount of money. I don't know the exact figures back then, but it was about 140, 150 quid a week, something pounds, sorry, a week. And, um, then he got busted for benefit fraud. Because whilst he was claiming this incapacity benefit, he was touring Japan. Playing <laughs> oh, Jesus. So it's, <laughs> and it's not just the fact that he's gone to the point where he, he is committing the benefit fraud. It's the fact that he thinks he's going to get away with it. Right. He's, he's an he's international touring musician. I don't understand how his mind works, but I mean, he had, he had a lot of health problems quite recently, to be honest. And things weren't looking very good at all. And even though they parted ways, not on great terms, when Diano was, was let go. Uh, where they part and they've had clashes in in the media and and Diano's always been quite negative about the band. Uh, Steve Harris, the Maiden bass player, and the Iron Maiden, I suppose, collective, I guess, um, paid all his medical bills off for him oh. and made sure he was looked after. So that was quite a nice touch. That is really cool. Is mm. there? So I remember hearing about rumors, um, like that there was like some kind of rift between them and Black Sabbath. Like they hate each other. Yeah, it, it, it's more to do with Sharon Osbourne okay. than uh, than anything else. Did she really cut their know. mics? Because I thought that that's what she did. She cut their mics, right? She took an axe. I'm not sure what exactly happened. There was something to do as well with 
people throwing stuff at Maiden whilst they were on stage at yes. her request. I don't know if that was actually family members. So one report I read that there were members of the Osborne family actually doing this. <laughs> and yeah, there was big clash. And Bruce Dickinson isn't afraid of basically saying what's on his mind. And he, he basically put forward a few disrespectful names shall we say in Sharon's <laughs> direction Good. and yeah it's, it's been a it's been a long running feud that's bubbled away for, for quite a few decades I think yeah that's like the one of the things that always came to mind because it's like you know I I respect the band love the band listen to the band but I'm not my brother was the bigger fan so he was the one that could do mm-hmm. what you're doing and remember you know historically this is what they're talking about or this is the year and this is what happened and this is who's this is who's in the band right now and i was like i remember hearing about some shit that went down between the Osbournes. <laughs> I know Black Sabbath isn't nearly as good as Iron Maiden for real though mm-hmm. like for the real Sabbath, though sorry to interrupt um Sabbath uh, i love Sabbath but the good Sabbath is very, very good. Right. The rest of it, to me, if you want to hear Black Sabbath, you can probably put together a, a, a best of with 20 songs on it. And that's all you need. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas with Iron Maiden, I mean, this list was so difficult to make because there's so many deep cuts, so many album tracks that doesn't get the love that, that, it, that they deserve. So many B-sides, live versions. It was so difficult to whittle it down to just these 15, 15 tracks. If I was to do this for Black Sabbath, it would probably take me 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want. I was wondering about that for you because, like, those are the two. Was it part of, because we had, like, our British invasion over here where it was mm-hmm. you know, the Who and the Stones. Uh, it, well, first the Beatles, and then the True. Who and the Stones, and then, and, and then, yeah, we have a lot of people that really and love. Zeppelin, I imagine, and all yes. that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and then we have a lot of people that really love Ozzy Osbourne, and mm-hmm. but I find that the the true like people that you can connect with are the Iron Maiden fans over here, but they are kind of a deep cut artist. They're not on the radio yeah. over here. We not don't, often. Yeah. No, like you don't hear them on the radio. You don't hear them on like any of like the classic rock stations or even like the like because they keep making music like they they don't play them like they would like you hear war pigs all the damn time oh yeah yeah, yeah. even on wb right now you hear war pigs that you yeah. have to promote their show next week yeah Survivor series mm-hmm. so you know you hear you do hear a lot more i think they're iron maiden is less commercialized over here yep. they'll, they'll play they'll play number of the beast and sometimes i hear run for the hills and that's pretty much all you hear on the radio i don't even hear okay. that i hear that on like streaming stations i'm talking like legit radio my radio growing up yeah. that's what they would play those two so i knew those two songs from from high school just from the radio station where i grew up but yeah. nothing else nothing else we didn't have yeah and i don't i like songs like aces high and um i'm trying to think like well the trooper is on here we'll get to that but you know those songs that deserve a nod they don't they don't mm-hmm. really get that over here and like most of the education over here is oh you have an iron maiden t-shirt that has some form of eddie on it and we know that that is some form of like an album or a song like what's that you know so like yes. that's that's okay. what we have and even with black sabbath people our age are like oh yeah i used to watch the osbournes when i was a kid it's like no <laughs> no guys yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I love ozzy I've, I've seen ozzy live a few times I, i've seen him i've seen him very very good and i've seen him awful you know depending <laughs> when it, whatever you depend on when you catch him but i love ozzy just it's just ozzy isn't it and he's a heavy metal fan he's like the godfather isn't he sure. he's like you know but again even with ozzy's solo stuff you can whittle that down to 20 tracks yep. and that's all you need. 
Yep. Makes sense. Whereas you're mentioning all these different records for me. I mean, the, the, the couple that you pointed out there, um, Ace is High and The Trooper, for example, they were released as singles from the, from the albums um, and they charted in the UK. But here in the UK, it's very similar. You, you really struggle, especially when I was growing up and you only, had, you only had really sort of commercial radio. You had Radio 1 is our big national station, and it still is to this day. And then you've got localized stations. I mean, Severn Sound was the one that was where I'm from because we're sat on the River Severn. That's what divides us in Wales, you see. And uh, you wouldn't hear Iron Maiden on either of those. That wouldn't happen. Really? But yeah, it would just it just would not happen. But then if it did occasionally get an airplay, it was like the most crazy, exciting moment of the day because <laughs> you're hearing Iron Bear in mind, I've got the record at home. I can go and put it on whenever sure, I like. Sure. <laughs> hearing it on the radio... It was just like, oh my god, this is my band being played on on Radio One. Or, but you also would have specific shows. So, for example, again, Radio One or, or it, it's it's sister stations of, of Radio Two and so on. They would have an, a heavy metal show. But this is before the days of being able to um, have it on demand or almost like a podcast version. It was you listen to it live or you don't hear it. Okay. Because there, there was no there was no real internet or so on at, at that point, so you'd have to wake you know make sure you're listening to the radio at one a.m. You have to make sure you're listening to the radio at midnight or whenever it would air because that was when your heavy metal was on. That's awesome. And that, and that was it. So, so yeah, eventually metal that. stations would pop up and so on. But yeah, that was kind of how it was. I like because Crazy. before we before we started recording, we talked a little bit about this was pre-internet. Like, yes. so your less your listening experience as a fan growing up with this band that is mm-hmm. not commercialized. Yeah. Like, so there's no internet. How did you, how did you find other fans? Like, you know what I mean? Like, well, <laughs> how'd you find friends? <laughs> well, this is, this is the thing. I mean, we're, we're the next track we'll come to is, is how I be the name. And that, that's, that explains a great deal of as to how I got into the band and, and in the first place, which is, you know, unique with regards to people who were also listened, but with regards to airplay and the singles, they were quite an odd thing really, because, they would still chart back when like the top 40 meant something in this country and your music charts meant something, your national countdown. Yeah. Sunday night was on the radio was your national, your top 40. And my sister would sit there and try and record songs off the radio on a little tape player and hope the DJ didn't talk over the end and ruin it. Ruin it and, <laughs> I remember and them songs. days. <laughs> yes. and, and, and Maiden would, even though they wouldn't really get any proper airplay, and there was a TV show over here that was a, a big institution on, on the BBC for many decades, from the 60s up, up until probably early 2000s, called Top of the Pops. And you'd have live performances on Top of the Pops, and they'd, they'd do a countdown of that week's top 10 singles and so on. Maiden were never exposed on Top of the Pops. They were never given radio airplay. But yet their singles would still be getting into the top 20, top oh, 10. That's really cool. On a regular, because the fans were that determined, and they would, you know, our Maiden release anything. The, the Maiden fans can be so fanatical. It, 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 they could probably release a 90-minute record of Bruce Dickinson farting down a microphone. <laughs> and, it would, and it would get in the top five, you know, because the fans are that fanatical. So, I mean, they even had a number one single, which, which is insane. In, in the January of, I think it was 91 or 92, they had a number one single with Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. Oh my God, sat, that's so cool. <laughs> and it sat on, it sat on our charts for, for two weeks as the number one. Awesome. And even then, they wouldn't go and play on Top of the Pops when they were number one. And, and if you were number one, you played Top of the Pops. You sure. were on the BBC that Thursday night at half past seven. That's the way it works. Maiden still didn't perform on Top of the Pops, but that's because they had a falling out with the BBC and so on previously, oh. but that's a different story. So 
Fair enough. No, that I was going to ask why. <laughs> uh, they, uh, they, they insisted Maiden played. Again, I think we're going back to the Diano time when yeah. they played on top of the pops. And they were, apparently Maiden were either too loud or there was something they didn't like about it. So, and majority of people who perform on top of the pops are miming. It's, it's just a little studio show. And you get some people who would play live or you know, maybe the singer would perform live and they'd be t- singing over uh, the band miming uh, to a show and uh, to, the, to the song, sorry. <sighs> and Maiden basically point blank said, no, we play live or we don't play at all. That's respectable, yeah. I think. And then they, they eventually the BBC and Top of the Pops, the producers agreed, Maiden performed, but they turned them right down. They made them very quiet. So Maiden just point blank said, we ain't going back. <laughs> they turned them for, down. For decades, for decades and decades and decades, they did not. So if Maiden had a single that got into the top 10 and Top of the Pops would be playing these records for, for the young kids such as myself, you know, 12-year-old Sai so sat there eating his tea watching, we would get maybe a 30 or 60 second clip of the music video they would release for that song because Maiden were never going to play on Top of the Pops. So that's how they kind of got around that, I guess. But yeah, the fact that they would chart so often, despite, I suppose, mainstream ignorance, potentially, is is quite incredible, and especially over the course of how long this was. And when when heavy metal wasn't fashionable as well. We're not talking when Sabbath was out in the late 60s, early 70s. This is like, I mean, say 86, for example, Maiden were charting in 86 when heavy metal was not popular in the UK. It was quite a... they, They always managed to somehow the fans just sort of get the records recognized, I think. I think that's awesome. It is neat. They, they, they kind of owe the fans to get them, to get them that big back in the nineties. It sounds like, it sounds like you were trying to fight yourself from saying getting put over. Yeah. (laughs) 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 So yeah, you, you touched on it. Um, hallowed be thy name off of number of the beast, which was released in 82. Yes. Why that song? This is this is how I first discovered Iron Maiden, and then from Maiden, it's how I got into rock, metal, and all that in general. And now I've got so many bands I adore, and, and but this was literally the the gateway. This is the first thing I heard, and I don't know how old I was nine, ten potentially. And a, a friend of mine recorded something off the radio for me onto a cassette tape. And, you know, I, I said I wanted this particular song. I, can't, I, w- I wish I could remember what the song was because I bet it's something incredibly cringy and embarrassing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I can't, I can't sort of ace, ace of bass, all that she wants, or something, some crap like that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but th- my friend managed to record this this song or whatever it may well have been on, on a cassette tape for me and, and gave me the tape at school. When I got home and my parents had the, you know, I managed to play the music. My parents had one of those very old fashioned eighties, massive stack systems mm-hmm. for a stereo. So it's like, it's basically like a cabinet with, that plays music. This thing was huge. <laughs> you know, it was massive. I mean, again, you got to bear in mind the time frame that I was, I was growing up in and I, I, I couldn't walk around anywhere and listen to it because I couldn't put it on the speakers because my dad didn't want to hear my nonsense. Uh, <laughs> so I'd have to have these headphones on. And they'd have the, the massive overhead things, huge, you know, like sticking off my little head when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and the wire would be a big curly wire all the way down to the stereo that you plug in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you tried to walk more than two yards away, it'd whip your head back, that sort of thing. <laughs> and, uh, and I played this, this song that my friend had taped me. And when that song finished, you heard the great almighty clunk as they press the stop button and it picks it up on the track. And there was just a, a bit of drums that, you know, what, what they recorded over on this old cassette tape was just a bit of drums and a song ending. And that was that. And then 
just this noise came through and, and it was like dong dun, 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 dong dun, dun, dun. and i was like what the f- is that <laughs> and, I, and, and it sounds it sounds incredibly cheesy and it sounds incredibly um over the top and ridiculous but the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and i was like what is this and it turns out that my friend had recorded over a copy of the number of the beast album with this <laughs> this track for me so purely by chance it, it happens to be a, the, the the drums and the, and the bit of nonsense i heard previously was the and the gangland that's about one track on the album so gangland finished and then hallow be our name kicked in and then as that that, that sound of the, the dong and then the little picky bit of guitar and then bruce dickinson's voice comes out and he sings i'm waiting in my cold cell uh, when the bell begins to chime and it hooked me and it comes back to to your point of how they tell stories mm-hmm. And I'm listening, and it's it, it's this person talking. Well, I say talking. Bruce is singing, but it's, it's compared to the rest of the song, it, it is almost talking in tune, I suppose. And he's saying, you know, reflecting on my past life, and it doesn't have much time. At five o'clock, they take me to the gallows, and all. And I'm thinking, this guy's being executed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, it, and it hooked me in. And then he, you know, the sands of time for me are running low, but when he hits that that low, and he just holds it. And it, you know, running low, and it goes on and on. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And as he's still hitting that note, bang, the drums come in, the bass comes in, the guitar, and it's just like, it just blew me away. And I, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it now, as silly as that sounds. That doesn't sound silly. That's how I react. <laughs> yep, no, it doesn't sound silly at all. Doesn't and I, sound I was silly just like, this is, this is amazing. And then you get the, the bit of uh, the sort of musical side of it and, and, and the guitar riffs back and forth and the, the sort of dueling guitars of um, Adrian Smith and Dave Murray. Because by, by this stage, Dennis Stratton had left the band. So you had Adrian Smith in as, as the second guitarist. Uh, and the, the Steve Harris bass lines of dun, 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 behind it. And then it cuts off again. Because Maiden are famous for these time changes and jumping back and forth. And, and that bit, I'm thinking, this is incredible. I don't know what this is, but this is amazing. I'd, I'd, I'd never heard the words Iron Maiden before. I don't know what the hell this was. Yeah. And and then it cuts off and, and Bruce is like so fast. You know, when the priest comes to read me the last rites, down, down the, down, and you're like, wow. And the guy's voice just blew me away. So I listened to the song and I rewind it and I listened again and I rewind it and I listened again. And I must have done this for an hour. <laughs> and eventually my mum came in and said, look, it, it's, it's nine o'clock. You need to start thinking about getting yourself sorted out, going upstairs, you know, because all she could hear was, you know, clunk pressing play. <laughs> eight minutes later, clunk pressing stop, and, and then <laughs> as it rewound, clunk press play again for about an hour. And uh, I said to my mum, I unplugged the, the, the I unplugged the the headphones, and I said, "Listen to this." And I played her, and I was like, "What is this?" And she's like, "I I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure." So I went to school the following day, and I asked my friend, and they weren't sure. So we went back to my friend's house, and her mum said that was one of my old cassettes. That's Iron Maiden. So then I went back to my mum and said, do you have an Iron Maiden? Because my mum and dad had quite a big vinyl collection because it was all records back in the day. This is pre-CDs. And, you know, there's the Stones, the Beatles and loads of stuff like that. But she said, no, Maiden was a bit too heavy for her. That's not her cup of tea. But my uncle Gareth is a big heavy metal fan. Why don't you go and speak to him? So I jumped on my little push bike and uh, (laughs) (laughs) trundling across Gloucester as quickly as as my little legs could carry me. Got to my nan's house where my uncle was still living at the time. And I said to him, this is a cassette a friend of mine gave me, and it's, it's Iron Maiden. Mum said to come and talk to you. And he basically said he was going out, but he'll sort something out for me. So the next day, 
I got home from school and there was a carrier bag left in the back room by the stereo. And it had five or six, well, maybe more than that, potentially. There was quite a few LPs anyway, like the proper you know, full-size album records, the 45s. And there was the first Wasp album, which is still a band that I adore to this day. Uh, a couple of Michael Schenker albums. Who, you know, Again, Schenker I'm quite a fan of. Um, a couple of ACDC albums. And again, ACDC are one of my favorite bands to this day. And then there was the album, The Number of the Beast. And he was, uh, the little note stuck to it, this is the one. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was also the live, the live recording as well of uh, Live After Death, which was released in 1985. And that was a double LP. That was such a, it was a two hour concert. So it was a double record. And I remember sitting in that little tiny you know, back room again with this massive stereo and the big, huge headphones on my head. And I wasn't allowed to turn the record over myself or put the needle down myself because I was so young. And there's my uncle's music that my my uncle, whoever may, may well have made up the rule, was concerned that I was going to scratch it. And rightfully so. I, I'd be exactly the same now at the age I'm at now. Sure. So I used to have to listen to the, to the side of an album shite my mum she'd have to come in turn the record <laughs> over for her, put the needle back down and then play the second half and I, I, I loved the Wasp album Ultimate Sin by Ozzy Osbourne was another one in there as well and I played them all over I spent all night playing them and then when I, I'd finished school the following day I couldn't wait to get home to just sit in the back room and play and I couldn't there was nothing else I could be doing it's not like I, I put music on now and I can walk around the house doing things I literally because of the, the the time of the time, the era it was, I guess, and the technology we had and the format that music was played on. And the fact that I had to have the headphones on so as not to disturb my parents watching television in the next room. I, it's not like I could get up and walk around doing it. I literally, I was sat on the spot from when I got in from school until I went to bed, just playing these records over and over and over again. And then eventually they got recorded onto cassette for me when my parents managed to pick up some blank cassettes and I had a cassette player in my room so I'd go upstairs and play those to death. And that's, that's how I got into this music in the first place. And Iron Maiden especially. And How To Be Thy Name was the track. It was just that, that intro, everything about Bruce's vocals. It's just, even now to this day, some, what would it be, 31, maybe even as much as 32 years later, it's still one of my favorite songs because it started everything for me. I That's awesome. can feel that, yeah. that I always think of Les Mis when I, I, I don't know why. <laughs> it's just know, the way that they tell that story. Like Les Mis a Rob? Mm. Yeah. I don't know what that is. The the opera. I mean, I've never I've never seen it. I guess. But I, yeah, it just the visual of all of that, and it was also one of my brother's favorite. Like he had said, I. It's almost like he knew, but he had always said, like, "This is I want this played at my funeral, like this song." Okay. Yeah, and I made I made the playlist for that, and I made sure like every five songs was an Iron Maiden song, and I made sure to put that one on right. there. But no, I mean like the way that you talk about the like the intimacy of having to in the immediacy of having to sit down and be still, just soak it in. And mm. I think that we miss that now. I think that you know because everything is streaming and you can do it from your phone and you can do it while you're driving and you can do it while you're doing the dishes and you can. You know, it you do you lose that relationship with how yes. you listen, and to have such like an intense connection with. Basically, this is what your first favorite song. I would argue yes. based on that story. Yeah, so you yes, know, well, have that. And that, did you have like the album art that you would look at too? And it's uh, it's funny because I I I don't wanted to listen to more. And I had the cassettes that I taped, obviously, for my uncle's records and so on. But as I got a bit older, and I'd be getting a bit of pocket money off my parents every Saturday, 
and it would be uh, £2 was what I would receive on a Saturday morning for my pocket money when I was, I don't know how old I was then, 13, 14 potentially. So a couple of years have maybe gone by just listening to the same albums over and over and over again. Or asking for one for Christmas and I'd get a different one for Christmas and so on, but that was that was kind of it. And I used to, used to receive my £2 pocket money from, from my, my mother and my father. And it depend upon the weekend as to what I did of it. Where I live, there's a local football team, Gloucester City are my local team. And they're not a big deal. They're about six divisions below the big Premier League where all the big boys play and so on. It's a very tiny little club. A couple of thousand people go watch it. But it's, it's, it's my club. It's my local side. And it used to be, for under-16s, a pound to get in and then a pound for a programme. So I used to walk to the stadium, pay a pound to get in, pound for a programme, watch the football, then walk home. If they were away, if they had an away game, that two pounds would just go in a pot and that would be building up towards the next Iron Maiden album. <laughs> so it would take me sometimes weeks because so, Gloucester would be home one week away the next. So it would take me several weeks to be able to afford it. And then my dad would be like, okay, you've got 10 pounds in the albums, 15, here's a fiver, go and, you know, whatever. And or I'd say, oh, is there anything I can do around the house, like wash the car, anything to earn an extra few quid? And all I'd be thinking about was getting my hands on the next CD. And uh, the first one I bought was, which was looking back in hindsight, a bit of a silly mistake because the first one I bought was Number of the Beast, the one I already had. So that was a bit bad. <laughs> but, <laughs> but from there, I, I'd go and I'd, I'd, I would go normally buy the album artwork because you, you walk into um, some of these record stores in, 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 in Gloucester in the UK, you'd have HMV, R Price, uh, 45s. Most of them have gone out of business a long time ago now. But you'd have the heavy metal section and then you'd have the Iron Maiden section. And I would literally, I would spend hours in there, hours and hours and hours looking at these CDs, looking at all the album artwork, reading the, the, the song names on the back before making a decision, knowing that once I bought one of these, it was going to be many weeks before I could get another one. So that decision was a big deal to sort of 13, 14 year old me. And so I would buy one based primarily on the album artwork and, and the name of the album and what I thought looked the coolest. And then I would go home, I'd put it on my little CD player that I got for Christmas one year, I'd shut the bedroom door, and I would just lie on my bed, and I would listen to it, reading the lyrics in the book, mm-hmm. looking through all the artwork. And I think the the art of making an album now, I think it's almost lost, it because is. back then you used to listen to the album. A single would, would pull you in, so you'd go buy the album. That's mm-hmm. how the music industry, a very, very simplistic viewpoint, but that's kind of how the music industry would work. Now... You can, oh, I like that single. Bang, press play on your phone. It's done. Yes. So the art of actually making an album, I think is kind of lost. And and Maiden, and many, many other artists as well, from different genres, pop, blues, whatever, would tell these stories through their album. And certain albums would have a concept to them. So each song would be another part of the same story and, and all this sort of stuff. And reading the lyrics, I mean, reading the lyrics to How To Be Thy Name as an example, it just blew my mind that this was somebody could write like this. It's almost like it's, it's like a, a poem by this man who's, who's on death row and and so on. And that's how I would I would literally read from cover to cover. And that's how I think now. I still have a grasp on certain songs lyrics from back in the day because I would literally hammer them into me. I wish I'd done the same with schoolwork. To be honest, maybe. I was the same way. I mean, the way. Uh, the way that I used to listen to music was the same. Like I, I didn't get to start on a record player, but I remember the first song I heard on a record player, and I have that record player that I heard it on um, on my Why? bookshelf. Um, yeah, it was uh, the first I heard Stevie Nicks "Stand Back" on. That was okay. the first thing I heard on vinyl, and it it's 
there's just some, there's nothing like it. I can't, there's just nothing like it. And when you, when I got really into building my collection, I, that's what I liked. I would go pick out a handful and then come home and it would be like, okay, nobody talked to me for Mm -hmm. the next several hours or until tomorrow. And I'm doing this and I'm laying on my bed with the artwork, with the lyrics. And it's, it's kind of almost like reading a, a letter from a lover when you when you listen to a record and and then you take that away and you know now you've got everything is so synthesized and and yeah it's on your phone and even reading mm-hmm. the lyrics on your phone it's like texting it goes from like writing you know romantic poetry to sending a text real quick like yes kind it, of yeah it you, there's something that's lost when you don't have that physical that that touch. And I remember like showing one of my nephews was like, this is cause he was like, what is that? That's like a big disc. What is that? And I was like, this is music. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I've never been able to touch music before. <laughs> and I was like, here, I'll show you how it works. But I was the same yeah. with him. Like I have to, I will drop the needle. <laughs> you can sit here. <laughs> I also yeah. have all of my settings exactly the way they need to be, so don't touch any of the buttons. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the little bouncing lights as well on yes. the front of the stereos. Oh, fantastic stuff. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's just something. There is something mm, personal. Yeah. You lose that when it when it just becomes an app on your phone and. Mm. And you don't you don't have the experience of driving to a store and and or you know riding your bike whatever whatever yeah, your method those of transportation. Are gone. We think about it, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would tend to be a walk uh, when when I was going to get the records. It would tend to be a walk because I wouldn't pay the money to get on the bus because that would take a pound out of my hard saved up cash for my next LP. Yeah, I <laughs> my parent my parents were working and so on, so I wouldn't bother them for a lift. They they'd be out of the house and and so on. And riding my push bike into town. You know, it's going to get nicked because Gloucester's rough. So <laughs> it, it would be a walk. And where my parents lived, um, it worked out, I think, I don't know the exact measurement, but my dad did it the one day. I think it's just over two miles from the door into the center of town. So I would walk, and it didn't matter. It, it could be chucking down a rain. It could be hailing. It could be, you know, two foot of snow. It would be irrelevant. That Saturday morning, I would receive my two pound from my dad. That would take me up to the magic number of the next album. How, how much it cost at the, on that day and I didn't care what the weather was like I didn't care what any any plans were from anyone else I was walking into town walking into the city centre spending hours in these music shops and then walking back home again it didn't matter what the weather was like at all so yeah it was, it was you know a bit of a trek I wouldn't want to walk two miles or so now in, in my <laughs> one direction so it's like five my, round with my, trip <laughs> with my destroyed knees and, and older age and so on but yeah <laughs> <laughs> No, I like that. And you follow Hollywood Be Thy Name with The Trooper. Yeah, this one's quite straightforward, really. It's just an absolute belter of a track. It's just an absolute banger. <laughs> you had all these stories. Actually, this one was badass. Yeah, badass. badass. <laughs> Again, it's, it's, to me, it's this is the, similar to, I suppose, Killers for the Paul Diano era. If I had one song to show someone what Iron Maiden sounded like, this may not be my favourite. This may not be the one that's the most complicated with regards to songwriting or whatever. But this, to me, is this is what Iron Maiden sound like. Mm-hmm. As as funny as that may may come across, you've got literally the whole the whole song is about this setting this battle scene, and Steve Harris's bass is the galloping horses. Yep, and that's kind of something that runs through so much of Iron Maiden before and after the release of this track Bruce's vocals again it's just typical Bruce Dickinson it's, I suppose it is literally 
ticking boxes when it comes to what Iron Maiden sound like. You've got the dueling guitars, you've got the galloping bass, you've got Nico McBrain on the drums beating the crap out of his set. You've got Bruce Dickinson's vocals, and it's just Maiden deviate here and there, try different things, and but it always does kind of sound like Maiden because it is Maiden. This sounds like Maiden because this sounds like what Maiden should sound like for me. Makes sense. And they tell this one tells a story too. This one's about mm-hmm. an epic battle, right? I don't remember what century yes. it occurs in. Um, oh, it's going back. It's like the Redcoats and all that sort of right. stuff, isn't it? So it's like, you know, I, I don't know what that would be. Seventeenth, eighteenth century. I'm not Revol- sure. Revolutionary. It's going brother. back. Ago. Yeah. 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 And but it's, again, it's just the storytelling, and it's it's everything we've already said about these other songs. This is like the epitome of it, all rolled up into one little tiny ball. And this is not just what they sound like; it's what they taste like too. <laughs> they've got a beer oh, named that, after that's us. The beer. <laughs> yeah, that's the beer. Yes. Uh, yeah, they've got a couple now. I mean, the, the Trooper actually. There's a few music festivals in this country, and obviously we've got the big ones like Download and and so on. That's that's like the biggest heavy metal festival here, and um, that that's held at Donington Park, which is where the site of the old Monsters of Rock used to be in the eighties. It's like a one day festival, and Maiden headlined that numerous times. Now a lot of these heavy metal festivals, Trooper is their beer that they stock in the bars. <laughs> that's awesome. I you love know, which that. is great. <laughs> I had yeah. it once, and I had a really bad hangover the next day. So, just, it's a ah, thick beer. Okay. Just throwing that out there. Well, Ben can't <laughs> Ben can't digest a thick beer. <laughs> that's, okay, that's so uh, darker ales are probably not for you, then, my friend. No, no. not really. <laughs> I mean, I'm a light beer guy, but I, mean, I don't know what I was drinking that night. But then your mom got us like the the pint bottles. Yeah. And I ran out of beer, so we drank those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had, a, I had a hangover the next day, man. We got the, <laughs> I've got the big canister where they put the beer in the cup in it. And, yes. and it's like, it says onward they go. I think like the story is actually on the glass. Um, okay. Yeah. That is in there. <laughs> I've got all kinds of like their yeah. memorabilia everywhere. But yeah, I, I, I also have like a little action figure that one of my friends got me because he came with us to see Iron Maiden. Um, and it's the trooper. And when you see them live, they also do, it's very theatrical. They have Eddie come out and he's, you know, like 20 feet tall. And Bruce is wearing the red coat and waving the flag and all that sort of stuff. And like they have like a little sword fight. They had a sword fight on stage. Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) I always look forward to when they play that. And like the the guitarist always like runs between Eddie's legs and then runs back. And it's this whole thing. It's a really cool show just to watch them guys go live. Yeah. Yeah, they they are incredible live, yeah absolutely an experience no I, I was really i was really happy that you put that one on there too especially like when you like after hallowed beat a name because it's like boom i like that one boom i like that one <laughs> you're doing a great job <laughs> well thank you very much <laughs> and then you put uh stranger in a strange land from it's the 1986 album somewhere in time yeah again i was, I was trying to sort of get a snippet of each I don't, I don't want to say era of the band because that doesn't quite fit because it's not like they dramatically changed from time to time. It's still Maiden throughout, but there are slight influences coming into the band. And the album, um, Somewhere in Time, sorry, it's, it's released in 86 and you're very much seeing the influences of keyboards and, and synthesizers oh, yeah. coming into music. Right. And I mean, you had, you had, I suppose two different aspects to it, I guess. 86 was also the year that Metallica released Master of Puppets. So oh. very much, I knew that. very much your side of, of the pond, so to speak, very much stateside. Our side you had sucks. The, <laughs> I like Master of Puppets. No. You, you had the, 
I suppose the, the beginnings, or not even the beginnings, so they've been running for a few years, but Thrash was very much sort of taking control of certain areas of the United States with the likes of Slayer and Megadeth and the emergence of Anthrax and Testaments and all these bands. Mm. I blame them for Here. Guns N' Roses. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry? I said I blame them for Guns N' Roses. Okay. <laughs> we both Over hate here. Guns N' Roses. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't mind a big Guns N' Roses, to be fair. But it get, again, it gets a bit overblown, doesn't it? But there we yes. go. And over here, you had a similar sort of thing on a much smaller scale. But pop music at the time was very keyboard heavy, very mm. synthesizer heavy. And then you listen to the likes of, I mean, 86, Poison were big. Um, Motley Crue were big. You had the, all the hair bands, the glam bands were dominating radio airplay um mtv and, and so on and i think that this sounds like maiden still and it's a great record it's an absolutely fantastic song but it, on this album you can hear the influence of, of some of the synthesizers coming in some of the keyboards coming in and it's not as dominant as other bands may well have used it you know, van halen for example but they go hard on the keys <laughs> yes exactly yes. but it's almost like a, di- a sort of different mini segment in in their in their timeline, I guess, because if you listen to, I suppose, what do we have just before this? The Trooper. There's no, not a keyboard in sight. Mm. And that was 1984, I believe, or 83, peace of mind, wasn't it? Yeah. 83, yeah. And this here is like, this is only three years later, and there's a different sound to the band. It's, it sounds produced differently. There's the synthesizers, as I said. But you still get the brilliant storytelling. You still get the aspect of, you know, this is a, a guy who's in, in a place where he doesn't belong. And it's, he's, he literally is that. He's a stranger in a strange land and, you know, being unfamiliar with his surroundings and so on. And it, it's, I, I think it's a great vocal from Bruce Dickinson as well, because it's not as fast as some of the other songs on this list or some of the other songs that Maiden did in this era. It's almost, I mean, it's not a ballad by any stretch of the imagination. Maiden don't do ballads, but um, it's, it's slowed down a touch rather than the frenetic pace of, say, a run to the hills or a trooper or something like that. And again, it's, I think it's just a slightly different aspect to their their, their back catalogue than the norm, I suppose, that people will go to. I like hearing that, though. Like the the back catalogue, because yeah. that's, you know, it should be celebrated. It should be listened to more. And they're just really good at the whole, like heroic tale but it's like the isolated like you know traveler and they're coming up across like just all of these different forces and yes. I, I feel like uh, you see it like when they played Hallowed Be Thy Name they had this whole thing where he was he put on a costume and there was like the gallows and like a noose kept kind of like coming across the stage mm-hmm. and it was just this epic story. And, you know, just the way that they kind of speak to the, the hero inside of you, right? Because everybody's been a little trampled upon and everybody wants to overcome something. I think mm-hmm. that that's kind of at the backbone of a lot of what they do. I think it's probably yeah. also why a lot of people really are drawn to, especially nerdy people, are really drawn to the... Oh, that was, that was 100% me. I was a complete nerd. Was, that, was, that was definitely me. Yeah. Like, all of the kids that were Iron Maiden t-shirts at my high school were also all of the kids that played D&D in the corner. <laughs> and I, I've, I've never played D&D. I, I, that's one thing I've never done. I, thankfully, when I was around 14, I discovered that I was semi-decent at, at football or, or soccer. Oh, there as, you as, go. As, 
And so that kind of led me into the path of actually making a few friends. So that was a, a good step <laughs> in that direction, I guess. And when I say semi-decent, I, I was never any particularly talented. I was always just quite big and quite quick. So I got in teams. So I kind of, I suppose my social uh, circle developed from there, thankfully. Otherwise, I'd probably still be sat in my parents' spare room now listening to Iron Maiden records. <laughs> <laughs> See, now I've been to a few soccer games over here. We have the Columbus crew are like the ones that are closest to us. Mm -hmm. My friend is a huge fan, Anna, that she's been on a few of my episodes. And she always told me about the importance of the triangles. She's like, they have to kick to each other. You have to maintain your triangle when you're running down the pitch or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's all about moving the ball to move the opposition and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah. Quite, it, it, it's not just... I mean, the level I played at was very much just kick and chase. It wasn't a high standard at all. But yeah, well, the higher you go, the more complicated and complex the, the tactics get and so on. Yeah, that's fun. My, see, now my brother played football, but he played like American football, like okay. with like the helmet and the stuff. Right. What is that? The closest yep. you guys have over there is like rugby, except for that's yeah, rougher. I mean, we've got um, a, a great deal of the NFL shown in this country. Really? They, they play there once or twice yeah. a year now. That's correct. Yes, your you Tottenham Hotspur Stadium this year was was where a couple of games were, I think, which is London. Uh, but we have our main provider for I don't know how you'd word it. I suppose cable television sure. is yeah. is a sort of comparison. We have um, Sky Sports, and Sky is the governing company of of the, all the channels and so on. And Sky Sports would have maybe seven or eight stations on there so it'll carry a lot of the premier league football it'll show a lot of german football italian football and so on and then it covers netball and rugby and also anything they can get they will check on there and then you have sky sports news which is like i suppose um cnn or fox with regards to oh, yourselves okay. you've yeah. got the, the the words at the bottom and the, the sort of headlines coming up on on, on the screen and that's it's literally a, a station dedicated to our football just talking that 24 7 oh, that's, that's our ES so e espn we have that yeah yeah, okay, ESPN. yeah, that's, yeah espn that's a good example yes and then we have sky sports nfl oh. and it's a whole station dedicated to the nfl so on a sunday for example my wife is my wife sharon she is nfl crazy she a uh, Doors it. That's so and fun. I was going to ask, a, like, what are your guys' teams like? <laughs> okay. Um, my wife is a Dallas Cowboys fan. Oh, okay. no. Yeah, um, I, I get it. Going back to the 90s, sure. uh, when she was much younger and got into them. And, but she will watch everything. I mean, where, the, the NFL channel here, you'll have a game on, sort of talking hour time then. The time difference is what, five, six hours, I think we established, didn't we? Yep. Yeah, here, uh, over here, you'll have a game that comes on. Okay, the games that recently that are in London, for example, that'll mm. kick off our time about 2 p.m. Okay. So that's the first one, and it will show the whole game in its entirety on, on Sky Sports NFL. After that, we'll get a 6 p.m. kickoff. Yep. After that, we get a sort of 9.15, 9.25 p.m. kickoff. And then after that, there's another one that's on at 1.15 a.m. in the morning. I was going to ask, yes. All day, man. Yeah. <laughs> So my wife will normally sleep on the sofa on that particular evening <laughs> and she will watch from the very first kickoff all the way through. She'll watch every single game all the way through. That's awesome. And my, my daughters are aware that quite often on a Monday morning, they get the bus to school. <laughs> Mummy is not going to give them a lift. So. <laughs> That's Mommy's awesome. recovering. You got to tell Sharon yeah. to root for the Cincinnati Bengals because yeah. that's who we root for. We root for the Bengals. She she doesn't mind those. I'm, I'm, I know she was, because uh, they made the... The, the it's, it's just called the Super Bowl, yep. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. over here we'd refer to it as like the Cup Final, I sure. guess. But they made the 
this, yeah, I know Sharon was was rooting for them on on that occasion. Yes, yes. Danae cried when they lost. I did. <laughs> I did. Like I saw it was starting to happen, and I lit sage. I was like, "No, we can turn this around. We just need to cleanse our energy." And then, <laughs> and then when we lost, I just sat down and put my head in my hands. It was such an emotional season for us. I got really drunk and don't really remember it a whole lot. Cried. But. There was a lot of texts that we shared with friends and family, just really pissed off that we lost. I mean, like we worked really hard. Yeah, man, we really watched I mean, every we game. We say we like were part of the team. Yeah, wait, we, we, you know, we lived near. I'm emotionally invested, yeah. but no, well, that's this is it. And again, similar to music, sport can do that. Yeah, I, I've had some. I'm a Manchester United fan when it comes to to, to our football, then and. I've got Gloucester City, my local side, but United are my team. And they have been for as long as I can remember since the early 90s. Wait, I might have I've, some knowledge. Wait, is Manchester, Manchester is, you're either a Manchester fan or an Arsenal fan, right? Is that what it is? Um, Not quite. Oh, Arsenal are based in London. Oh, okay. <laughs> and they, they are, you know, London is, is a, a great deal of teams come from London. So you've got, you got Tottenham, you, you know, Spurs and you've got Chelsea and, and Arsenal and they're all from London. Okay. Uh, Manchester, you have Manchester United, which is the club I support, and they're historically always been a big club, one of the biggest clubs in the world. And then you have Manchester City, who we hate. There's a big rivalry there. <laughs> and they they have become very good in the last 10, 15 years because they have a new owner uh-huh. who has lots of money from they've being from, from Saudi Arabia and oil money and all this, and he's invested in them. Like Tony so, yeah, I've, so I've had some fantastic memories of us winning the European Cup and the league and all this sort of stuff. And then the last 10 years have been absolute dog dirt. So it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that happens. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, so bringing it back to Maiden, I was really thrilled to see that you put Alexandra the Great on here because, like I've said many times, I really love their storytelling. And like one of my favorite things to do after, so after my little brother passed away, cause he would be the guy, like I'd be like, okay, well, what's this song about? And what's this moment in history? And then, you know, then I'd pull up the Wikipedia and I'd be like, oh shit. Like they kind of nail a lot of this in their little seven minute epic opera that they dedicate to this moment, right? So to see, to see this, I was, I was pretty happy. Cause it's like, I miss that. He's been gone for nine years. I miss that like, Hey Dewey, because uh, that's what I called him. Hey Dewey, like, uh, what's this shit? <laughs> and you know, so to be able to have a conversation with somebody that grew up, you know, in their homeland, who is like, this is the shit. It it really it kind of thrills me, just like a little a little tiny bit. So so why this song for you? Uh oh, if you're talking, we do not hear you. We lost, we lost, there we go. Sorry, completely unprofessional on my part. I muted my mic so I could use my vape and forgot to unmute it. I apologize. Oh, I, I've been here drinking the entire time. It's cool. We're good. <laughs> There's nothing professional about our show. Uh, it, it's the storytelling again for me, but it's from a different viewpoint on this occasion because everything else we've looked at is has been fantastic storytelling. And we go back to Hallow Be Thy Name, the whole man on death row, and he's going down to be executed. And it just conjures up these images in your head and, killers as well right back in the the early 80s the this this person stalking people through alleyways and so on this is similar because it tells the story and it you know the concocts these images in your mind but this isn't a work of fiction this is telling a story of something that actually happened historically and this guy's life and i think that's incredible and when you actually read the lyrics the words that they managed to get into the song 
and somehow make it rhyme and make it work with regards to the timing of the record and uh, to make the to tell the story accurately as well as make it a good song as well i mean it's just steve harris um, i mean steve harris the bass player he, he he's probably less so now other members of the band are more so involved in songwriting but steve harris was the dominant songwriter for many many years and this i think is just an absolute masterpiece by steve harris that because it's kind of around the same era as a fear of the dark hallow be thy name i mean when it comes to those epic album closers this one kind of doesn't get the love it deserves because the other ones are so so dominant. I think. I I'm trying to remember when we saw them live. They did. They talked about. They introduced a song. Bruce Dickinson told some a story. Crap! I'm such a terrible person. Um, it's the story of Braveheart, and he said he was yes. introducing it, and he goes. But then when you guys turned it into a movie, the best person that you could have play this epic, you know hero of the Celts was Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> he gives a hard time for that one. <laughs> he really did. But, you know. the, that would be the Klansman. That would be the Klansman it. from Thank the you. album Virtual Eleven. Yes. And that, that almost made it on this list as well because Virtual Eleven, it, as we go down the list, you'll see that there's a track from various albums. There's a couple yes. of tracks from one album, but I tried to sort of split it across. Virtual Eleven is actually the one of the albums that misses out. There's no track from Virtual Eleven on on this, which my, I know my younger brother uh, AD when he hears this podcast will be screaming at it. <laughs> when we get into the uh, the Blaze Bailey era, when Blaze Bailey is the vocalist, uh, I'll explain a bit more about that. But yeah, he loves the Virtual Eleven album. That's one of his favorites. But yeah, that's the Clansman, and that was a Blaze Bailey record. He he sang on that, but. Again, it's one of those songs that when you hear Bruce do it live, and there's numerous live recordings out there now, it's a bit better. It is great. <laughs> no, that's how I felt when I when I, I got goosebumps. And we were in the Riverbend, which is in Cincinnati. It's kind of this, like, it's on the river. Uh, the Ohio River is, like, the background of a pavilion. And then they okay. have this big hill, um, and that's kind of the field, and that's where we were. We were, um, what are they, is it called... What's it called? The Riverbend Arena? Yeah, no, the the area that we were. The Oh, like the yard? Yeah. The grass. The lawn. The lawn. It's called the lawn. <laughs> yeah, I got right. it totally spaced. Um, because <laughs> like the when I used to go there when I was younger, it was real grass. And then they That's, turned it yeah. into AstroTurf. And but when he was building into the intro for that song, I grabbed you and moved you over so that we could actually see the stage because where we were it was all blocked off by Taller the, people. The televisions <laughs> oh, gotcha. that they have up and, you know, the big pillars of concrete. So I was like, no, I actually kind of need to see. And they changed the lights. There was fog. There was all this, like, epic, epic stuff. So I, you know, went on this list, I felt like Alexander the Great was the equivalent to the clans. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, again, it's very historic and it's very, you know, again, it, 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 it tells the story. I mean, you could you could use this for a revision for your history class. You could. You know, you could. <laughs> <laughs> What's your source? Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's, there's lines in it that, again, just the songwriting and how they worked it into, and it's not just writing a song around it. There's all these moving parts. You've got, again, you come back to the dueling guitars again. This is a big thing with, with Maiden's sound. You've got the two guitarists going back and forth. Harris playing bass. Bruce is soaring vocals. And he's singing, you know, at the age of 19, he became the Macedon king and all this sort of stuff and he swore war against the, the to free asia and and you're thinking this guy should be singing about 
tits and ass and go out and get drunk and you know but he's there singing about this this guy from 300 well 334 bc as the line says in the song and it's just incredible and it's it this is the song that i use quite often to almost throw in the face of people who'd say oh you like that heavy metal it's Mm. just noise it's just people shouting it's just knuckle draggers is a term that gets used a great deal in the uk with regards to um heavy metal fans because we have the long hair and cavemen yeah exactly yeah that kind of yeah that kind of um sort of stereotype i guess so then i throw this in their face i'm like well look look at this this is one of the greatest heavy metal bands of all time and they're telling you here about this historical character and his life and so on it's not just screamy shouty nonsense and this yeah this is the song i kind of go to and and the, the the one sort of breakdown at the end i suppose you get the bit where it slows down and they play the guitar solos back and forth and, and Adrian Smith comes in with his and then it fades out and Dave Murray plays his and it goes back and forth across that. And then it kicks in and the song comes back, but it's again a different tempo to the early part of the song. And you get the whole, you know, the Firrigan King banged a chariot yoke and it's, it's, it's shorter and punchier and it's just, again, another time change, but it's so seamless it's not jarring. You don't notice that they've sort of cut up the song into these different segments. It all just fits. And again, it's just an incredible piece of songwriting for me. Yeah. No, I, I, that was one of those. Cause I was, I was that judgy. I was judgy when my brother would be like, Oh no, like, come on, just give it a try. Just give it a try. But he, I love history. Right. And I love, um, like legends and mm-hmm. you know myths. Real, and- real quick story about her loving history. Literally last night, I got done playing PlayStation at 12.30 a.m., went to the bedroom. We were laying down. She's on her phone reading. Like, 10 minutes later, she's still reading. I'm like, what are you reading about? She's like, the Gettysburg Address. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like 1 a.m. on a Friday night reading about the Gettysburg Address. Okay, but it's the anniversary of when the speech was okay. originally well, I, given. There's a, there's a reason then. There's a link there, yes. <laughs> yeah. I just like assume that she's like a news article that she was like really interested in. It. Nope, Gettysburg Address. The Gettysburg Address. <laughs> almost, but that's what I do. Like, And I actually did go to Gettysburg. Um, we went to, I went with Anna, we went to see Tom Petty in Pennsylvania. <clears throat> and on the way home, we were like, well, this is the closest that we're going to be. Like, this is a huge historical site. Let's go. So we mm-hmm. went and I stole a rock from the cemetery to put with my brother in where he's buried, like on his okay. le- headstone little area. He's in the military, so it fits. Yeah, it does. I feel like it was appropriate. But no, I mean, this, those are the kind of conversations that Caleb and I would have where I'd be like, you know, he'd be like, come on, just try. And I'd be like, I would just be like, dude, I just don't want to hear like a 15 minute long song. And he's like, you are being a bitch and (laughs) you need to be wound in. And he's like, you know, with as much as you like history, he's like, you know, we could go to Barnes and Noble and you could pick out a book or you could also listen to this song and it'll tell you the same exact story in poetry, which you also like. So what's your problem? Stop judging. And, you know, so yeah, I don't, I really, I can hear him from beyond being like, (laughs) I freaking told you so. (laughs) But yeah, no, I was really, I loved, I loved that that one was on here because I was like, yes, like he's hitting, you're checking all the boxes. And you mentioned there a, a sort of 15 minute song. The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner is probably the biggest most epic of the album closers and that is that that clocks in at like 
14 minutes something I think. in some change it's 14 yeah, that, and some change <laughs> that, that nearly made it onto my list as well yeah but, uh, it, it got bumped for something else but uh that i think is the perfect example of that epic album closer and the story because you know the rhyme of the ancient mariner is quite a well-known tale and the fact that they're telling this story it's like epic poetry again. isn't it yeah right. yeah that's right yes yes and, they're, and they're, they're putting that forward in this heavy metal record again just shows how, how incredible they are and he would that's would be his defense he'd be like do you have any idea how smart you actually have to be to be able to appreciate everything that they sing about in that's the fair. way that they sing about it like it would be he's it's just it's an idiotic thing for you to walk around and judge somebody for liking metal but not give credit to the fact that they're able to make they're able to make this dead shit cool. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's what they did. <laughs> and then you follow uh Alexander the Great with the evil that men do. Yeah, it's similar to the trooper I guess. It's just banging around. It, it it's fantastic. It's the the intro is awesome and it's one of those that when I found other friends who liked Iron Maiden, one of them was a guitar player himself. And this was his favorite track because of the guitar based intro and the solo in it and so on. And it just got played all the time, almost to the point of overplayed around my friend's house. <laughs> and I, I, I do often quite think, think of him when I hear the intro to this, but it's just, I, I think this is almost the peak of where Maiden went with Bruce Dickinson in his first run with the band. Mm -hmm. Because after this album, this is from uh, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, things kind of drop off a little bit. You've got you've got Number of the Beast, and then you've got you know, the, the Peace of Mind, Power Slave, and all the albums through the 80s, and it's all fantastic. And then you hit this record, and it's almost like a, a collection of everything they did well on the previous records, put together so like the keyboards semi-worked on uh, somewhere in time here the keyboards are back but they work more they're, they're, they're more effective here the, the the sort of galloping bass that you hear from the the earlier 80s stuff with you know peace of mind and, and trooper and so on here it's back again here but it works even more so and it's almost like they've taken these moments from other albums and it's all come together on this particular album. And I think on this particular track as well. And then after this, it kind of feels like the wheels come off a little bit. We, the next album is um, actually another album that there's not a single track that makes this playlist is No Prayer for the Dying, which was released in 1990. You didn't put that on here. No. <laughs> no, no. Like, and that's, and that's, actually the, that's actually the album that features Iron Maiden's only UK number one, um, Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. But nothing from that album makes my list. Pure, I mean, if I was allowed 20 songs, something would. But you, <laughs> we you, can you do were a very part mean two. and insisted it was 15. So <laughs> It is 15, but we can do a part two. I'm, I'm interested okay. in a part two. Okay. But yes, uh, the No Prayer for the Dying album, uh, it's, it's really... Uh, I got to be in a really specific mindset to dive into that and listen to certain tracks. Mm -hmm. And then after that comes the fear of the dark album. Mm -hmm. And now obviously the fear of the dark title track is fantastic. And there's other songs on there that are great as well. But then you hear things like weekend warriors and, and stuff like that. That to me is the sound of a band breaking up right there. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where Bruce is going to be leaving. So this to me is uh, the, the evil that I do is just, I think uh, all the good work they've done in the decade previous has built up to this particular moment. And it's just an absolutely fantastic record. 
I think it was really clever that number seven on your playlist was off of the seventh son of a seventh son. Did you oh, do that it? on purpose? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Cool, sure. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I have no idea. Wow, okay. Yeah, no, I like I was really kind of I was like, oh, okay, you know what you're doing. And then I I always feel I didn't grow up in a very religious kind of like we I got shopped around a lot. Like I was exposed to a lot of different and I think that what Bruce Dickinson has been exposed to shines a lot in his music and mm -hmm. seventh son of a seventh son. That's the story of Cain and Abel, isn't it? Like your, your son will be cursed seven. It's like sevenfold, right? Is that what that yeah, is? Yeah, And it's all to do with having a gift. And, and so the actual title track itself tells the story again, coming back to storytelling yet again, yes. <laughs> the actual title track itself, seventh son of a seventh son, it's, it tells that story mm -hmm. about how the seventh son of a seventh son will have a certain gift uh, and so on. It's, it's a fantastic listen. And it's epic. It's it's quite a loose concept album in a way. I mean, not all of it ties in, but each track, uh, certain tracks, sorry, not every track, but certain tracks tie into what a story, the story that's being told on another track on the album. And it's quite a clever, clever piece of music, really. I feel like they're, it's they're underrated in the in their cleverness. I mean, I have to agree. I didn't realize all of this until like today, and, and they seem like a pretty deep band, actually. <laughs> they are like it's, it's thought provoking, and like I don't know. Have you did you know about Bruce Dickinson's autobiography? What does this button do? It's sat just over there. Oh yeah, actually on the shelf over there. But I've not read it yet. I've so. read a, a few chapters. I haven't gotten through it. It's one of those like. I want to call my brother like every time I read a little bit. So I have to pace okay. myself, but yeah. I love, he's also a pilot. I don't yes. know if, yeah. And the, the intro, like the forward of the book, he's talking about flying a plane with like diplomats on there. Like he's like, they don't know that I'm the lead singer of um, a heavy metal band, <laughs> um, and, but I'm like flying dignitaries and <laughs> diplomats. That's really neat. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, he flew um, commercial airlines for quite a while. It was like, it was almost like he decided I'm just going to go and have a job. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, Ed, Ed Force One is yes. the Iron Maiden plane. Yes. Uh, I think it's um, I think it's a Boeing of some description. It's a very large, very large airplane anyway. And that's the Bruce would sometimes fly them from city to city and country to country. The band uh, themselves. He just flies his own band around. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. I, right. It's super epic. <laughs> like they're He also sorry, he also represented Great Britain at fencing at one point in his life. Oh he's a really God. intriguing, interesting character. He's, he's an he's incredibly talented man. See, <laughs> like, I, with all due respect, fuck Ozzy and having cameras in his house. <laughs> I want to sit down with Bruce Dickinson. Right? Like, yeah. he makes beer, he flies planes, he's the lead singer He of, fences. Yeah, he fences, apparently <laughs> like an Olympian. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And, and then on top of that, he's able to take... I think he, if he would not be the lead singer of Iron Maiden, he would have had to have been an author or something, you know, of mm. like historical fiction or just because of how much he can weave that all of his knowledge into a, a story that makes you feel something. Cause it's not just like, he's like talking at you. He's talking to your soul and he's bringing how you feel to the like forefront of, of what he is saying and mm. engaging with you. And I think that that is just a talent that not everybody I mean, has. Even watching him live, he's really captivating. You know, those few moments where he speaks before a song, that kind yeah. of stuff. He's really captivating saying like three sentences, you know, like I want to hear more. Yeah. 
He doesn't. He makes yeah. everybody shut up. Like yep. <laughs> you put a mic in his hand, and everybody's like, "And you are my god." And <laughs> it, makes you, it makes you laugh and think in and like four think. sentences. Yeah, like I, he's a very witty dude. Like that's who I would, I would definitely like to hang out with sometime. Like it's just, it's incredible. And then, have you heard any of uh, his solo material? I don't you know. think that I have. No. It's quite a mixed bag, to be fair. It's quite up and down. Uh, eventually, well. I said that some of the tracks on the Fear of the Dark album sound like a band that's splitting up. And that is obviously what happened. After the Fear of the Dark album was released, um, Bruce left the band. He wasn't happy with uh, some of his songwriting not being featured on the album. I mean, you've got a lot of voices trying to put forward their own ideas. And it's sure. a Maiden, especially then and, and still to this day, it's Steve Harris's band. Maiden right. is Steve Harris's band. So Bruce left to do a solo career. He released an album called Tattooed Millionaire, which is which is pretty good. It's 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 not Maiden, but it obviously you've got Bruce's voice there, so it's quite intriguing hearing that. He then sang for a a much smaller band for one album, just to sort of put the vocals on a track for them, and then did a few more solo albums. But if you buy like a best of Bruce Dickinson, that that is kind of all you need, really. And there's an actual uh, a song that I'll, when I get off from here, I'll, I'll send you a link to it there's a song called tears of the dragon and this is like the solo bruce dickinson track it is incredible and it comes back to a lot of the songs that we're talking about today are written by steve harris or written by harris and smith or whatever this is obviously bruce writing his own stuff Mm -hmm. and he writes tears of the dragon and it's almost a ballad in a way it's all it's slowed right down it's still it's still rocky it's all metal but it's an absolute masterpiece. It is fantastic. And I'll, I'll send you a link to it when, when we finish here. But yeah, that's uh, that's what he was doing whilst away from Maiden for a few years. I also, we haven't talked about the name of the band. Like not everybody knows that Iron Maiden is actually like a medieval torture device. Yes, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Like that you get. So for those that don't know, you it it was like a kind of like a coffin that you would walk into, right? With spikes. Yes. Yeah, then they would close out. it, and yeah, 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 not a nice way to go. <laughs> no, and then and they would so. And Iron Maiden also is one of those bands that they have an album with that name and a song with the name, and the band is mm-hmm. the name. So they're like bad company that way, where there's the name of the band, the name of the song, and the name of the album. But they also, I think, got their name from a movie, so they're a little bit more commercial. But right, yeah. <laughs> It just, it's dawning on me that there's all of these little, like, what do we call them? Easter eggs yeah. kind of sprinkled mm-hmm. throughout for that band. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you follow The Evil That Men Do with Fear of the Dark. Ooh, my favorite song, by the way. Yes. yes. And you did the this... live version, which I appreciate. Yes. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. You play the studio version. It's still fantastic. Sure. But the the crowd, and this this here, the, the Fear of the Dark album was released in 92. Mm-hmm. And this is their performance at Monsters Rock Festival which is held at Donington Park, which is now where Download Festival is, and as I mentioned earlier, on the biggest metal festival in the UK and and so on. This is the first official recording where the crowd join in and sing the parts that have now become quite synonymous with the record. Yes. So when you hear um, later recordings, I mean, a big one is um, there's a a live concert that, I mean, Live at Donington, 1992, there's a, there's, it's out there on DVD, VHS, however you can find it. There's a later one um, where Iron Maiden headlined the Rock in Rio Festival in Brazil. And it was on Bruce's comeback tour after he'd been away for a few years. This is his return. That sounds bigger 
when they play Fear of the Dark because the crowd is bigger and they're fanatical over there. And it's a, it's a fantastic watch. Watching that, uh, I, I recommend it to anyone, watching that concert, especially the first few songs and seeing the, the band arrive on stage and they have to helicopter in and all this sort of stuff. It's, it's an incredible, you know, incredible uh, thing to see. I think it's on YouTube, actually. Yeah, so Rock in Rio 2001. Those versions may sound bigger. The crowd may be more fanatical, louder, and so on. They do. There's another recording from River Plate in Argentina where... Again, the crowd singing along with Fear of the Dark is, is much louder and bigger, but it all kind of started here. Mm-hmm. It all started at Donington Park, at Monsters of Rock, 1992. And the whole live thing with Maiden, the, the big thing with Bruce saying, scream for me, Ohio, yeah. or scream for me, <laughs> Donington, or you know, scream for me, Birmingham, or wherever. That, that's a big thing. And I used to listen to these live recordings Again, we come back to the Live After Death album that I borrowed from my uncle, the double record live recording from 1985. And it'd be Scream for Me, Long Beach, and the crowd would go mad. And that became really synonymous with me. And I was desperate to see the band live. Again, big fan growing up, a fan. And the more live recordings I heard and VHS tapes I would get hold of and, and, and watch till the tape was worn out and so on. Fear of the Dark. I had the album live at Donington 92 and that's the track I kept going back to because of the crowd interactions and the scream for me Donington and all this sort of stuff. When I finally got to see Iron Maiden at Donington Park, by this point it had become the Download Festival as opposed to Monsters of Rock. And they came on, they played some, you know, the, a couple of the tracks from the new album and then went into like the Trooper and all this sort of stuff. Then when they played Fear of the Dark, it was the first time that I properly had that hairs on the back of my neck moment again mm-hmm. since i heard hallow be thy name all those years ago in my parents back back room and uh, you know it, it, people may laugh people may mock me whatever i don't care it is what it is when they played fear of the dark the very first time bruce screamed you know bruce yelled out scream for me donnington my bottom lip went my eyes were full of tears it was just <laughs> an, an emotional moment and because it, it was this was 2007 so this is bloody hell the best part of 20 years waiting for this moment. And I'd seen Maiden live before, mm-hmm. but it was on it was on a tour where they played the whole album all the way through. So a lot of tracks were left out of that set list. I had that and too, looking, the first yeah. time I saw them. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I had that Look, too. Looking back in hindsight, they did that because when that tour finished, they knew they were announcing Donington Park, where they were going to play the hits. Mm-hmm. So when I went to, and, and I was there for five days in the dirt and the mud and all this sort of stuff, and Maiden headlined the Sunday, which was the last day. And just hearing them play this particular track, I mean, it's a great record anyway. And the crowd singing along makes this record, I think. But hearing that moment of scream for me, Donington, it just brought tears to my eyes. I was a blubbering wreck, basically. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's, that is, I. It's almost like a spiritual cleanse, right? Like that's how yes. I react when I see my bands, you know, like I, I, cry, I cried a little bit when I saw Iron Maiden sure. this last time. I, I got goosebumps this last time when, when Fear of the Dark started. Yeah. It, was, it was my head all day because I liked it. And then they started playing. I was like, oh shit. You know, it starts out real slow and, and their lights, you know, my, yeah, I, I felt that same thing. Yeah. Like it's a great, so like, yeah, it doesn't like when you talk about how you, how you physically respond, like I've had that with. I have that with Pearl Jam every time. Oh, every time. You're a blubbering mess at Pearl Jam. <laughs> I'm a total mess at Pearl Jam. <laughs> but, you know, seeing um, seeing Iron Maiden even, like, with my friends, I when my brother's friends, we were there with uh, Josh. Josh teared up during, they sang Blood Brothers. 
and yeah. he was crying during that and it you know because he misses my brother sure. and you know that was pretty epic but when they played fear of the dark i got i mean i got goosebumps it they turn the lights off mm-hmm. and they do this whole thing and i it's captivating really you know so to be able to see that over there in that setting i i bet would be thrilling absolutely <laughs> especially in that scenario yeah it, it it was amazing and again they headlined Download Festival or, or Donington Park a few years after this as well, and I went again. And at this point, the, you know, the crowd are all singing along as well. But he's got these spotlights on stage, yep. And he's turning the light on and sort of sing, pointing it out to the crowd as that everyone's doing the whoa and all this sort of stuff. Yes. And he, he actually comments so you, you, again. You can get the DVD, and he actually comments, "Oh, I can hear the East Midlands Choir." <laughs> Park it, you know, it's, it's just brilliant stuff. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and he awesome. does. He does do that. He did the scream for me. Yep, he did scream for me, yes. Columbus. Scream for me, Ohio, yep. like. And it does, you're like, okay, (laughs) how loud do you need me to be? (laughs) It was pretty awesome. And the people that were all next to us were really cool, too. Yeah, everybody was cool around us. Everybody was really cool. And they, like, the guys that were sitting in front of us were really concerned because I'm only five foot tall. So they were like, will you be able to see if I stand up? And I was like, yeah, please don't not stand, right? Right. Like, I need you need to stand. I can't be the only one in this row on my feet. Like, get up. But yeah, like that's uh, Fear of the Dark is definitely kind of a legendary. That's definitely one of the ones that I would tell people. Like I can hear my mm-hmm. brother being like, "You're an asshole because now you're on the bandwagon." But I would. That would be one of my <laughs> picks. I'd be like, if you think that you know them or you think you might like them, this is one you absolutely have to listen. It's been to. in my head the entire time we've been doing this podcast. It's been in my head. He was pumped that it was on your playlist. I was. I, t- I messaged <laughs> him. <laughs> you did. You did. Yes. And again, it's um. I mentioned it earlier, the, the Rock in Rio 2001 performance. That The Fear of the Dark version on that DVD or whatever, again, you, you can find it on YouTube, It that almost made it in ahead of the Live at Donington one. But it's just the fact, because it is, the, the, the Rock in Rio version is the better version. Mm-hmm. It, the sound quality is better. Bruce is on great form. The band sound fantastic. Because by the time Bruce comes back, they, they've got three guitarists. So this, it's a fuller sound and so on. The crowd are insane. But the fact that this was at Donington Park and growing up as a kid, getting to Donington Park was a big deal for me. That's kind of why I went for this one. But yeah, the Rock and Rio version is, is fantastic as well. Is Donington Park like far for you or? Um, it's about two and a half hours, maybe something sure. like that. Okay. But it's kind of. I get that. It's, it's a racetrack. Uh, Donington Park is a racetrack and they, they have the super bikes racing there and so on. And, the, the, you know, if you, if you Google um Donington Park uh, or Monsters of Rock. It started in 1980 and Rainbow headlined and you had Saxon there and so on. And they've had some of the lineups you look back on. I wish I was born 10 years earlier. Mm. So I would have been you know, of an age to go to these festivals in the 80s because you look at some of the lineups. It's like, it's insane. I mean, in, in 92 alone, Skid Row were there. Um, I think Thunder played and, and just absolutely, and of course, headlined by Maiden as well. I wish I was old enough to have gone. But again, my uncle being that much older than me, he went to a lot of the Monsters of Rock festivals at Donington Park in the 80s and That's can remember these these shows firsthand. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's quite a... I don't, I don't want to oversell it, but it is kind of like, almost like a pilgrimage, I guess, for heavy metal fans. Sure. The fact that Download Festival now is on the site of the old Monsters of Rock. Donington Park has had all these fantastic festivals over the years. It's kind of been woven into the history i suppose of heavy metal in this country that's I guess really that. cool yep, absolutely we don't have 
a site like that. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. No, that's really cool. In Woodstock, well, I guess. The Dunlop Bridge as well. I mean, because it was a racetrack, you had a, a, a basically a, what they referred to as the Dunlop Bridge, and it was a it was a tire, and it was a massive tire going over the track. And it's quite. It, it it doesn't make any sense with regards to the heavy metal world, but because, <laughs> it, because, the, but because the venue was this uh, this this racing you know track you know True. racing park, it made sense when they had the superbikes there because it's a massive giant tire with Dunlop written on it going over the track. Right. But you can see when you look at old footage or old uh, photos online of bands performing at Monsters of Rock in the background. There's just this massive Dunlop tire behind the. Track. <laughs> That's badass. <laughs> It's a really great piece of advertising. It'd be like if somebody like played at ta- that Daytona 500, you know, like somebody goes uh-huh. to that racetrack and plays. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we I mean, have it's, it's a trek. We, the one year we did download, my wife, my wife came with me. She was uh, probably six months pregnant at the time. Oh, and trooper! It's such a vast festival now. Download, it's become so big. It, it's it, this year is the 20th anniversary of Download, not just Monsters of Rock, the 20th anniversary, and they've actually extended it to four nights of music. So you got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday people will arrive on the Wednesday, go home on the Monday. So it's like a whole week you're there for. I mean, I'm getting too old for that nonsense now. I can't be doing any of that. <laughs> but my wife and I went to a maiden headlines the one year. And basically where you camp, I mean, there's, there's a there's 100,000 people there, 90,000 people there. It's, it's a huge, huge thing. Sure. And there's five different stages. But you know, where, where we camp, it's a 45-minute walk from our tent to the stage. Jesus. Because it's such a vast facilities such a vast you know and it's not a 45 minute walk as in you leave the campsite and then you're just trekking along the way you're walking through other campsites it is huge with so many people there and then you get to what they call the village which is effectively a big fairground so you've got all your roller coasters and all this sort of stuff in there and shops and bars and whatever and then inside that is the actual arena and there's five different stages there and it's quite again a massive site and it's, it's quite a place and it's one of those where I wouldn't want to go again unless they announced something incredible. I've seen pretty much all the bands I want to see in my life. I will always go and see Maiden again. I'll always go and see Wasp again and and various other bands, but it would take something big to get me to part with the money and spend five (laughs) days wallowing in the mud at my age. Five days is a long time. Five days is a long time. I mean, like very, very tiring. The older I get to, the less interested I'm in, in in crowds. If it's more than one Mm -hmm. night, I don't want to go these days. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I feel that like, yeah, I I could feel that. That's a pretty, but it sounds like it's a city inside of a city inside of a city. (laughs) Oh yes. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. And when you're walking to the stages or the arena, as they call it, um, everyone's coming from their different campsites. So they're coming from all different directions and then they all kind of meet on the one pathway and we had had into the arena. You're like one body. Uh, The the one layout, the one year, well, quite a few years they had it laid out this certain way. You end up actually on the racetrack itself and you do almost a third of a lap of the racetrack because that's just the way the path goes to take you into the arena. So you've got tens of thousands of heavy metal fans or drinking their cans because again it's a 45 minute walk so everyone's having a few beers on the way down or just singing and talking and so on whilst walking on this concrete tarmac superbike racetrack into the arena it's it's quite surreal but it's quite amazing as well that's really that's interesting awesome. yeah that's a good experience absolutely so then and again i don't know if you realize how clever you're being you follow fear of the dark with the edge of darkness I'm, I'm not don't you give me far too much credit <laughs> <laughs> well I say complete fluke it's because these are the order the songs were released in oh okay so okay. Bar- barring the very last track on the playlist I've done this in the order they, they were released so I oh, got fair you. enough 
So why this song? This is from the X Factor album released in, I think it was 1995 this one came out. Yes. Uh, yeah. And this is when Bruce Dingson had left the band. And the new singer was a guy called Blaze Bailey, who was uh, the vocalist for a band called Wolfsbane in the UK. And around this time as well, or around the writing of the album, Steve Harris's father passed away. So you end up with a quite a dark album with regards to the content and the songs that are written, because uh, Steve Harris is in quite a dark place himself, he says in certain interviews and so on. And then you have the, the vocals of Blaze Bailey, who... He hasn't got the soaring high range that Bruce can hit. His voice is much, a uh, much lower tone, and he hasn't got the range either. As much as I like Blaze, he hasn't got the range of, of a Bruce Dickinson. So you end up almost with, it's an Iron Maiden album in title, but it's not really an Iron Maiden album in sound. It's, I, I think if this, I mean, this got panned when it came out in the UK. This, this did not get very good reviews at all. People were. I think people find it very difficult to jump on board with a Iron Maiden without Bruce. And Blaze got quite a lot of unfair criticism and so on. But when, when I first listened to this album, I didn't enjoy it at all because it wasn't Bruce. And Bruce was my guy. Mm-hmm. But now I've got older, I listen to it, and it's far better than I gave it credit for. And this, to me, is the standout track from the album. And I suppose, in a way... It, it stands out for me because of its subject matter. It's quite a cleverly written a cleverly written song. But it's also the song that sounds most like Maiden on this record. The X Factor album, called X Factor, because you know X for you know Roman numerals, 10 is the 10th release and all this sort of stuff. And uh, the X Factor album, I think if it was released as a heavy metal album by Steve Harris and Friends, it would have got potentially better received but because it came, because it's a good heavy metal album, it's just not a great Iron Maiden album. And I think there is a difference in that. But this song here is probably the closest to that classic Maiden sound with the new vocalist. Uh, and the, the the subject matter, I mean, it's it's part of a story taken from the film Apocalypse Now. It's kind of based loosely around that. And it's about how um, in war and in certain circumstances, people can uh, give up on their own morals to follow orders and so on. And this is a song written from the viewpoint of a soldier or, or an agent of some description awaiting his instructions for his next mission. And he's been waiting a while and he's getting you know a little bored potentially and he, he's fed up, he hasn't had this mission. And then when they give him a mission, I mean, the, the, the lines says, says themselves, all he wanted was a mission and then for my sins, they actually gave me one. And he'd been waiting to to take part in this conflict. And then when he was given the, his mission, his mission was to seek out another member of his military and and kill them because this person had gone rogue, as the lyrics say, and um, was, was acting unsigned and so on. So they wanted him bumped off. And it's the conflict of this individual knowing he has to carry out this, this quite dark action for the supposed better good but he knows morally he, he doesn't want to do it, but these are the orders he has been given. And it's that kind of internal battle that this guy is feeling as he tracks the guy down. And, you know, it's very atmospheric. You get the helicopters at the beginning. It's that there's talk of Saigon. And so we're, we're obviously looking at around Vietnam time and so on. Yeah. It's, there's a lot going on in this, in this, in this track. And again, blaze Bailey, 
I love Blaze. I, I met the guy a couple of times. He's absolutely fantastic. A lovely guy. And I've seen him live his solo stuff. And I recently saw him at a festival and he did, because it's 25 years or 20 years, 25 years since he joined Maiden. So he's done an Iron Maiden set at a festival I went to this year. And that was incredible. He played all these old Maiden stuff. And then, and again, a fantastic guy. But on a vocal comparison, he can't do what Bruce Dickinson could do. I think and few can. <laughs> it's, well, this is it. And, and I don't think Maiden helped themselves because they could have, for example, there's footage of him online singing the likes of Run to the Hills. And it Blaze does not sound good because right. they're still playing it in the key that Bruce Dickinson would sing it. They could have quite easily retuned, adjusted the tone, adjusted the... However, these music, these musicians are far more talented and intelligent than I, so I don't know the correct terminology, but there are ways around that, which Maiden didn't do. It was a case of, this is how we play it, you sing it like this, and Blaze just simply couldn't do it. Maiden were also an incredible touring act, and they would go on these massive, months, year-long tours, and Blaze's voice would pack in on him, because he wasn't used to that. Sure. So eventually it led to, they did one more album and, and record sales were dying and, and all this. And eventually they, he left the band after the next album, which was Virtual Eleven. But this here, I think is, especially from the X Factor album, the peak of the Blaze Bailey era. This is an absolutely brilliantly written song. And vocally, I think this is probably Blaze's best performance. Do you, how long was Bruce Dickinson gone from the band? He left in, well, 92, Fear of the Dark came out. And he left after the Fear of the Dark tour. So you're probably looking at 93-ish, he probably left, maybe 94. Blaze joined in, yeah, Blaze joined in 94 and was gone by 99. Bruce rejoined in 99. Okay. I didn't realize that there were three different singers for Iron Maiden. Yes. Yeah, funnily enough, in the UK, as crazy as it sounds, you get fans of a certain age that still look at Bruce Dickinson as the imposter and believe Paul believe Diano that. is the singer for Iron Maiden because they were, they were in London and seeing Iron Maiden in these clubs and pubs with Paul Diano and he was their guy. And they still see Bruce Dickinson as the stand-in and Paul Diano is the Iron Maiden singer. As crazy as that may sound no, I get now, it. You know, yeah. in, in 2022, but yeah. That's funny. So it's like the loyalty. Right. The loyalty for the mm. OGs. But like how long... Bruce Dickinson's been in the band for... I mean, he, the five-year hiatus, but like 20-plus years? He joined in 82 Yeah. Uh, for the Number of the Beast album. And he left in 92, 93, I after Fear of the Dark. So he was and he came, back, he came back in 99, and he's been with them ever since. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> That's a lot going on. <laughs> I feel like he's put the time in. He's, he's definitely the lead singer. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. I get that mindset that, you know, if you, if you know it one way, once it changes, you're like, what the hell? So I, I get yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, that. Yeah. they do that, though. They change. I mean, like ACDC had a different lead singer. I mean, look at Journey, mm -hmm. you know, like. Now, I mean, but it's newer, yeah. I mean, I just kind of feel like you know it's kind of a cover band at this point when I, when we see him live because it's not the lead singer. Yeah. Who is that? Sorry. Journey. Oh but, yes, yes, yeah. okay. But so now I've seen Journey with three different singers. Oh, so nice. When they used to, they used to chop and change quite a bit until they settled on on the guy they have now. But yeah, I've seen them with uh, three. I couldn't even name them for you, but I've seen them with. I saw them, they had a singer for a one-off festival. They were mm -hmm. playing middle of the afternoon. Uh, so that was that, and I saw them with the guy they have now. I saw them with the guy uh, they have now too. 
Yeah, we were I've told never, to sit I, down. I've not seen them with Steve Perry though. I've never seen them with Steve Perry, the original singer. It's a shame, like, because that's what I would like to have done. And when I saw him, I saw him in two thousand. I feel like it was twenty ten, two thousand and nine or two thousand and ten. Heart was mm-hmm. with them, and and Heart covered the Who and Led Zeppelin back to back, and it was freaking amazing. See, hearts are. It's funny because whenever I mention to people I like heart because of my heavy metal background, I guess they're sort of like, "What, really?" <laughs> I absolutely love heart, and especially when we get into the. I mean, because heart are another band, I, I think, where you've got different segments of the, the their, their timeline. They're kind of almost folk rock at the beginning. They are, and then you get into the 80s and the, the hair gets bigger and the, the hits get bigger and uh, you have the sort of glammy side of things in the 80s and that's that's my era of heart I like you know the Animals album and, and the big glammy kind of you know these dreams and all that sort of cheesy nonsense that's, that's what I like but I saw Heart in Birmingham um, a few years ago Gosh, and so they were playing uh, the Birmingham Symphony Hall, which sounds very posh. Uh, and I, I just thought I'm going to a gig. So I had my jeans with holes in and I think I had an old <laughs> Iron Maiden or Megadeth t-shirt on or something like that. And a dirty leather jacket. And I trudge up to this gig to go and see Hearts. And I'm going on my own because no one else is interested. So I'm trudging <laughs> along to go on my Todd. And I walk in and everyone else is in like trousers and shirts. And it's an all-seater venue as well. There's oh, no shit. standing section. Down. And it is literally, as I said, a symphony hall. This is where the orchestras play. Oh. And I'm, ju- I'm just sat there with my long hair and my, my dirty leather jacket feeling completely out of place. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. Anne Wilson of Heart is, again, I love Bruce and I, I've, seen, I've, I've seen so many bands I, I couldn't list them. But Anne Wilson of Heart is the greatest vocalist I've ever seen live. No one can touch her for me. She is so, so good. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like when I saw she did, she did Rain Over Me by The Who. And then they did the Led Zeppelin song. Crap. It's the one where they talk about. It's one of the ones that where it's about Lord of the Rings, and I can't remember because <laughs> they had like Zeppelin had a handful, and I can't. Mm-hmm. It's the it, there's um, like a mandolin playing, and I cannot remember for the life of me. But I remember like watching watching her sing those songs. I was like Jesus Christ! Like I, Eddie Vedder is the old. He is the guy that gets it done for me every time, and he's every everything he touches is gold for me, and. As a woman, I think that there's there's a lack of representation in rock, but she does such a fucking good job. Like there is she just is incredible. Yeah, she's legendary. I mean, I Stevie Nicks is you know my other lady love. Mm-hmm. I, I really hold her up pretty high too. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Ann Wilson, the bigger the hair, the bigger the hits. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever seen the um the i think there's like a led zeppelin kind of tribute concert at one point yes and different artists came on and performed different songs and zeppelin are actually the guys from zeppelin the, the remaining guys the surviving guys from zeppelin are actually in the room as well and heart performed uh, stairway to heaven and they had an orchestra behind them and again this is professionally filmed you know for for the dvd release uh, this is on youtube as well and i must watch that video once a week at least because <laughs> her and this is incredibly controversial and people aren't going to like this but with regards to zeppelin the majority of it i don't get 
it's never it's never I've never been mass, massively into Zeppelin. But you're also and not a Lord of the Rings fan, so it makes sense this to is me. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the heart version of Stairway to Heaven, and this is where I'm gonna get lots and lots of hate and by all means just crack on on twitter it's fine but i'm gonna get lots of hate for this the, the heart version of stairway to heaven recorded that day mm-hmm. is better than any led zeppelin version i've heard Adam wilson is incredible and robert um uh robert plant the singer of zeppelin of that's right isn't it? robert plant yeah, I don't robert know, I'm, yeah, I'm a bit of a brain fart there sorry yeah robert <laughs> plant uh he actually breaks into tears when he sat in the, the hearing Adam wilson sing again i'll i'll find it and I'll, I'll send i'll send a link over to you but it's an incredible performance it's absolutely insane I'll have to check it out. That sounds absolutely. That sounds pretty awesome. I've never been a Led Zeppelin fan. I think that it's overrated, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Get out! I no, just don't get again, it. also not a Lord of the Rings fan. <laughs> it's lost on you. Basically, half of their catalog makes no sense to you. That's that's if fair. If you don't like Lord of the Rings, you will not appreciate what they do. Fair enough. Fair enough. But yes, but yeah, back to back to Iron Maiden. So we follow the Edge of Darkness with the Wicker Man again. Thrilled for this pick, too. That was a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, the Wicker Man is the first track from the Brave New World album. Mm. And again, this might be a bit of a controversial opinion, but Maiden have done some incredible albums. Albums I still to this day can play from start to finish. And everyone talks about the number of the beast and Power Slave is held up there really highly and all this sort of stuff. But Brave New World released in 99 or maybe start of 2000. The yeah. first album with Bruce Dickinson's returning to, 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 you know, to the microphone stand. I think this is the greatest Iron Maiden album they've done. Of all I think time. This is, I, I think this is genuinely the best Iron Maiden album that they've released. This is fantastic. You've got the band uh, almost reinvigorated by Bruce returning. And, and part of the stipulation of Bruce coming back was that I mean we spoke about Adrian Smith earlier on, the guitarist in, in Our Maiden. Adrian Smith left the band in in the mid to late eighties as well. And they brought in a guy called Yannick Gers, who is probably the guy that you would have seen with the blonde hair fighting Eddie on stage. Yeah. That that most likely would have been Yannick Gers. He came in and played on Fear of the Dark and so on. Adrian Smith actually joined Bruce Dickinson's solo band. So played guitar for for Bruce when he was doing his tattoo millionaire stuff and all, all that sort of stuff. Part of the criteria for Bruce's return was that he wanted Adrian Smith to come with him because they'd formed quite a songwriting partnership in his in his solo career. So rather than kick Yannick out because they were quite fond of the guy by this point, they decided to go with a, a three band, a three guitar format. So you have Yannick, Dave Murray, and the returning Adrian Smith. So you get a, this this fuller sound. There's almost like an extra rhythm guitarist in there whilst you have the two dueling leads back and forth and so on. And Bruce's vocals, again, is it's just hearing Maiden almost coming out and saying, okay, you thought we were past it now with the last two releases. You thought that we were, that this was it for us. Well, basically, fuck you. Listen to this. <laughs> and... And the first track on the album is The Wicker Man. And the intro is just, and it's Adrian Smith on his return to the band, just him on his own, on guitar, just hitting that riff. And then it all starts building and building and building. And there's an, again, the live performance from Rock in Rio, they open the show with this. Oh, and that's fun. Adrian Smith runs on stage and he's got his single spotlights on him. 
and then the rest of the band come on with the fireworks go off and then Bruce runs in last and just jumps over the the monitors and the speakers at the front and he's just running around like a little crazy lunatic and it's just so it's just full of energy and the band are really reinvigorated by Bruce Dickinson's return. But also I think the return of Adrian Smith adds something to the band they didn't have before with that extra guitarist. And it's just an absolutely brilliant balls out rocker. It's just so fast and it's a return to form for me. It's, it's literally a case of we're back. This is us. Like you thought you knew us, but 20 years in we've discovered ourselves. Yeah, again. exactly. And I, and again, I can remember this is sort of again pre internet there was internet in 1999 2000 but in the yeah, uk early. yeah it was very limited and i don't i don't know when we got internet at my parents house the dial up the old dial up thing if you remember oh that. i remember oh. the dial up <laughs> so that's my, when we got the like for yeah. us we're that's where our i had dial up in 2003 bro <laughs> aol okay. man and it would yeah. be like oh mom are you not going to be using the phone because i need to log on <laughs> So I can chat with my friends instead of talking to them on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. And it would always be a case when I'd be like, you know, trying to do anything online, my dad would be, yeah, because he worked from home. Well, he didn't work from home, sorry. He had his own business. He had a driving school. And so the home phone was his business phone. Makes sense. Oh. And it would always be get off the computer because we need the phone <laughs> and so on. But, so when Bruce was returning to Maiden, I had no, it's not like now when you, you pick your phone up and you look on Twitter or Facebook or, or, or headlines are just thrown at you, aren't they? And, you, and it's, you know, you're told, look at this, look at this, look at this, this is happening. And it's almost like a, an information overload at times. We, ha- we had none of that. So all we had was the music magazines. So we had Kerrang! magazine over here. Yes. And there's um, Classic Rock magazine, which used to be a monthly uh, edition. And Metal Hammer, which was made by the same company, but was based more on the sort of heavier side of things. That was monthly as well. Whereas Kerrang, I think, was weekly, I believe. I could be getting that wrong, but... I feel like that could be can... right, Because right? it's Kerrang, it's K-E-R-R-A-N-G, like exclamation right. point. Yeah. Yep. I remember that magazine. <laughs> yeah. And I remember walking into town, and I was going into WH Smith's, which is a, a news agent here. And I was going in to buy... Oh, pardon me. Oh, Touched the wrong thing on my phone, and I do apologize. <laughs> and... Uh, we, I went into WH Smith to pick up um, Superstars of Wrestling magazine, which I buy every month. And as I walked in, I walked through the music section, and there was a picture of Iron Maiden on the front of, I want to say it was Kerrang! And being weekly, I imagine it was, because they would have been able to react quicker to the news. Right. But there was a picture of Iron Maiden, and then at the front of the picture, there's the six members, all in almost, almost like a formation in a triangle. At the very front of the picture was a guy in some crazy trousers, a denim jacket with the sleeves cut off and incredibly short hair. And I thought, Maiden got another new singer. <laughs> and I, I, I sort of walked over and as I was getting closer, I was like, that looks a bit like Bruce. And then when I reached, I picked it up and it did say, you know, Bruce Dickinson is back with our, and of course he cut all his hair off by this point. And he, he looked very healthy. And so he shaved the beard off that he had during the fear of the dark era. And I was like, Oh my God. And he looked younger as well you know, with, with the no beard and so on. And I was, I can't believe this. Bruce is back of Iron Maiden. And it was another one of those moments where, I mean, I, I didn't stand in WH Smith's and have a cry, don't get me wrong, but it was quite an emotional moment realizing that my band were back together at last. This was happening. And when the Brave New World album was released, I mean, I, I basically, I, I, I binned off Superstars of Wrestling. I bought the Kerrang! magazine and anything else I could get my hands on. I had a picture of Bruce on the front thinking that I want to read about this return. When the Brave New World album was released, 
it was another of those moments where, even though by this point I'm much older, walking into town. And you used to have to sort of, the day of the release, you could say to some places like R Price Music or wherever, can you reserve that for me? Can you put it behind and I'll come and pick it up? But they hold it for I, like that same day though, right? Like yes. they, yeah, just you had to be there before close or yes, within exactly. a couple of hours. Uh, with, yeah. with this particular release, I remember going into HMV, R Price, 45s, and all the different stores that we had, and no one was allowed to reserve it. They said, no, we're not allowed. Oh my it's, gosh. It, we've got X amount of copies. It's first come, first serve. And I can remember being, the, the, the store opened at 9 a.m. I can remember taking the day off work and being stood outside HMV or our price or wherever it was I went. I think it was HMV. And I was there at 8.30. And I stood outside the, and I was there before their staff. They were walking in, looking <laughs> at me going, what's this guy up to? And I was like, I am not going to run the risk. And by the time the store opened, it wasn't just me. There was numerous people in Iron Maiden shirts and stuff just waiting in this this shopping center in Gloucester, waiting for this store to open and running in and grabbing the copies of the CD. And I was home by 9.30 and it was like being 13 again. Oh, that's awesome. I led, I led on my bed. I played the CD. I read the lyrics. And again, that very first track, you put it in. And I, I, I was concerned as well because I'm thinking, how are they going to sound? Is Does Bruce still sound like he did? How is this gonna is this gonna be a letdown? Because sometimes I think sometimes we look back on things with regards to nostalgia sure. and what, what we've grown up with through roast tinted glasses. But this was me at 19, 20 years of age getting that nostalgia again firsthand because Bruce was back. So I had this big concern of okay, is this going to be a letdown? Is this, you know? And then that guitar hits from Adrian Smith from the Wicker Man. And then Bruce, Bruce's vocals come in. And that chorus of, you know, your time will come uh, over and over. And I almost chanting, oh, it just blew me away. And it, now, even now, I will play that album from start to finish. I adore it. There's so many great, I don't think there's a weak spot on this album. It's, it's superb. I'm not going to argue. I remember, I like when I heard that song, it immediately reminded me, we moved a lot when, I, when we were kids. Like, I think by the time I was 19, I lived in, 20 different houses. My Jesus. mom made a recreation Why? out of getting married and divorced. <laughs> we, moved, we moved a lot. Um, but I re- well, so you got to find things to fill the time. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, I remembered, you know, in a few of our different houses, like hearing that my brother's room, my brother's room and my room were always really close to each other. And I remember like when that played, I was like, Oh my God, this sounds exactly like that hallway. Right. Or like, you know, I remember the paints on in on that door or I remember Mm -hmm. one one place we lived. We bought the house from a family who didn't let their kids have bedroom doors. So my brother and I didn't have bedroom doors on when we moved in there. And so, you know, that was that was always like the the ear of the headphones, put your headphones on, like put that in your Walkman. I don't want to hear that shit, whatever, but you know, uh, Walkman, bloody yes. hell. <laughs> yeah. but you know, I remember like hearing, I, there would always be that moment, like right where like after you were adjusted to puberty where you would be like, Oh, okay, well I can think of other people. It's not just about me. So he would hear me coming up the stairs and be like, Oh shit, let me plug my headphones in. And I remembered mm-hmm. that noise like that sound and it went from hearing like this epic epic music to silence and then just kind of like that well it wasn't silence because you could still hear it coming out of his headphones because it was so loud right but i re- yeah. i would remember like that 
your time will come. And then uh, like really, really <laughs> muted. And then I'd be like, you know what? You can unplug that. Like, I don't, I don't hate it. And he'd be like, it's already made. And I'd be like, I don't, you don't got to tell me what it is. I don't hate it. I'll, I'll just read and listen to what you're listening to across the hall. It's not that big of a deal, but like it brought back so much for me of that, like him really rocking out hard and where he thought he was alone and then thinking, Oh, I might be disturbing my sister. Let me turn it down or put it away or plug in my headphones or whatever. And me being like, no, that one can play. <laughs> I won't. I mean, like I didn't let that ride all of the time, especially when I got my, the keys to my car and you know, my driver's license and I was the boss, but there were those moments where it was like, you know what? That one's allowed. And that was one of them. Like I was actually pretty pumped when I heard it again. It was like, Oh mm -hmm. man. And again, he's going to be like, you asshole <laughs> 20 years later. Now you like it, <laughs> but it's a great song. I, I was really pumped about it. And then I don't, it reminds me of like, is it the, there's like a movie about the wicker man. Right. And I've never yeah. seen it, but yeah. Yeah. And, and that story and how Nicolas Cage. it's kind of fucked up. Like they catch the dude on fire. <laughs> yeah. The original was, uh, I think it was a seventies film. The yeah. original. Yeah. And it was quite, quite scary and, and, and so on. And they remade it uh, more recently. And apparently the remake was bombed a bit, I think, but it wasn't the best. Oh. I mean, Nicolas Cage is, you know, yeah. I went to the video store at the time. So it was like, Oh six, Oh seven when it came out. Yeah. I, I never saw it. Yeah. But I mean, it's just, I don't, it's a great song. It's a, yeah, I, and it kind of gets you pumped up a little bit for what, like, mm -hmm. it's like it sets you up for what's coming next and what's about to happen. And you, yeah, and it was, and it was the show opener for oh. the whole tour. Oh, nice. So they, they, they would open with this record. So when I saw them uh, on this tour, they opened with this. And again, it's just that boom, here we are, we're back. And again, I, I keep bringing, I keep bringing it up, but the Rock in Rio concert recording, mm -hmm. they open with this. And it's, it's, it's funny because, it shows them arriving in this 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 arena, and there's I think there's like 120,000 people there, and they show the gates opening and the fans running to get to the barrier first, and they talk about it on the DVD extras or maybe in in an interview that I've seen. They when Maiden were arriving, it's the last the last leg of the world tour, and they're arriving via helicopter, and they can see this 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 stage and this is massive people. But they thought something was wrong, and they thought the the venue was on fire because <laughs> of, of what was rising from the crowd. Everything That's was awesome. shimmering and so on. And it turns out, the closer they got, it was just the body heat of the amount of people that were crammed in that area, making the, the sky almost shimmer as they headed towards it. And they had to land their helicopter. And again, the, the, the DVD, the, the start of the concert, is following them as they're, as they're going to the stage. And um, they're sitting uh, in this little golf buggy to drive to the stage because it's such a big venue they can't walk there or take them too long and they're having a bit of a sing song on the golf buggy <laughs> and joking around with each other and then you and then you see uh, uh, bruce backstage with the denim jacket that i mentioned on the front of the kerrang magazine holding his microphone bouncing up and down on the spot getting ready to go and then adrian smith runs out on the stage as, as they're playing this sort of very um dramatic theatrical music dun, 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 as the intros go in and the eddie is a picture and behind the drum kit and so on and then adrian smith runs on stage this this spotlights hit him and it's just like and it kicks off from there and it's just like you said it's just sets the scene for what's about to come it is absolutely fantastic how long was adrian smith was he gone for the same amount of time that bruce dickinson was 
Um, he left earlier than that. I'm not sure if he played on Seventh Son or not, but he definitely did not play on Fear of the Dark. I think Smith played on Seventh Son of Seventh Son and left after that album. Okay. So that would have been eight, that would have been eighty eight. And they recorded Fear of the Dark in 92 and Yannick Gers was in by the time they recorded Fear of the Dark. So he was gone a few years longer than than Bruce. But it was like a homecoming for them all to yes, be. Like exactly. a family reunion. Yeah. And, and, and they were all there because Yannick is a massive part of the band. And uh, he, he played on uh, Ian Gillen's solo records. Uh, Ian Gillen, Gillen from Deep Purple. Yannick played on those and so on. So he's quite an established guitarist by the time he joined Maiden. But now they're all in it together and you've got the six of them there. And I just think it just adds so much more to what they were doing previously. That's pretty epic, yeah. No, that's pretty... It, Ian, so the Deep Purple... Sorry, because like Deep Purple, that was... One of the lead singers left and, and became the lead singer of Whitesnake. I'm trying to remember... Yeah, David Coverdale. David, yes, thank you, yes. yes. He sang for Deep Purple, I think... I think he may have only been like 17 or something like that when he sang for Purple. Yeah. And Glenn Hughes was also part of Deep Purple at that time. He was a bass player, but also a vocalist as well. So they would share quite a bit of the, the, the vocal duties between Coverdale and Hughes. But then, yeah, Coverdale went off and formed Whitesnake and, and so on, yeah. That's pretty epic. Yeah, so then you follow uh, The Wicker Man with Rainmaker off of Dance of Death, which was that their first album after Brave New World? Yes, okay. it was. It was. I mean, I also have uh, Brave New World, the title track itself. Oh, nice. Yeah, you do. Oh, you do. So. I skipped. See, that's where I missed. <laughs> my I, my eye drifted when I wrote it all down. Yeah, so Rookie. sorry. We skipped it. So <laughs> we went from The Wicker Man to Brave New World. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this is, this is the third track of the Brave New World album. And I mean, sandwiched between The Wicker Man and Brave New World, you have Ghost of the Navigator. And it's kind of a bridge between the two because it has a bit of a slower start and then picks up pace like The Wicker Man and so on. But, I mean, it's a good song. I like it. And again, it was a big staple of the the live tour performance. They opened with these three songs from the album in the order they're on the album. These are the, the first three songs of the album and the first three songs of the live set. But Brave New World, it starts off so slow and a real intricate guitar part at the beginning. And it's almost like nothing there apart from Bruce's voice. Mm-hmm. And he's singing about, well, the, the, the lyrics are like, you know, dying swans, twisted wings, beauties not wanted here or not needed here, I think he says. Um, he's lost his love and he's lost his life. Uh, and and it's, it's quite a sad, dark sort of picture they're painting. And then he gets to the end of that first, I suppose, mini verse. And Nicko McBrain comes in with the drums, dun, 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 and it just kicks off into this fast-paced stadium rocker, I guess. And when you get to the chorus of, you know, oh, brave new world, everyone's singing that, and the crowd join in with it. And that was, because the Wicker Man, the Wicker Man to me is them saying, we're back. But it's not, it's not a stereotypical Maiden record. It's a great heavy metal record, and it's a great Iron Maiden song, but it's not got those those things that we spoke about so much earlier on in our conversation with regards to Harris's bass and the structure of the songs that we had with some of the classic Maiden. Right. Brave New World, though, is the first time on the album for me where it's, okay, now this is Maiden. This is, this is us. This is what we sound like. We sound like Maiden, but better. 
And it's again, it comes back to the same as the Trooper for me, I guess. It's just a bloody brilliant record. That's why I picked it. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. I like that. It's just brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. And again, it's the 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 light and dark, the, the night and day of, of the slow intro, and then it kicks off and then slows back down and kicks off. It's very it's just, I just think it's great. It's just a great record. Yeah, they, what they're good at too is like, because they accumulated, you know, all of their, they because they, you know, kind of broke up and came back together, and they moved you know, mm-hmm. away, and then, I don't know, it's like, when you come back together after time apart, there is it's there is something about like, your strengths and your weaknesses being able to kind of play together, and I think that that is pretty. I think it's explored in that album pretty heavily. Mm. I appreciate yeah. what they do there. Yeah, it, it's it's good. It, it it's again Brave New World. The album's called Brave New World, and they're singing about these certain topics on the track. But I almost feel as well like okay, it's a Brave New World for us as a band. Right. With with Bruce back, with Smith back, with with where we're going. We're now headlining Rock in Rio again in front of a hundred odd thousand people. We're now, I mean, that on that that particular year, they headlined Download Festival in front of 80, 90,000 people. Whereas when when Blaze was in the band, on the last tour they did with Blaze Bailey, the Virtual Eleven album, they were playing to arenas that are only three quarters full. So it's very yeah. much a case of, we are back, here we are. And it's also like where they were in time too, because I mean, when that album came out, that's the very beginning of the 2000s. That's when our technology is changing. And, yes. and you know, that's as it can be invigorating and also kind of scary because you have to move away from what you're used to and what you know and what you're familiar with and be open to kind of exploring new ways to connect and interact. And if you're men of a certain age, like they were, <laughs> that can, <laughs> that could be a thing too. Right. And they confront a lot mm-hmm. of those heavy topics, which I, I like because at the, at the end of the day, like they don't act their age and <laughs> I mean, they will, they make me feel younger when I listen to them. What band was it when they like jumped on the bus and like, hey, we have beer and a flamethrower? Yeah, they were with Fozzie. Was it Fozzie with yeah. Chris Jericho? So Chris Jericho's <laughs> got a band called Fozzie, and he was talking about um, he, like Bruce Dickinson. He, I think he only did a couple of shows opening for Iron Maiden, right. but he was like, yeah. So you know, they just showed up and they had given me like a bucket full of beer that they make themselves, and they were like, I have a flamethrower. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned Fozzie there and Chris Jericho. That's one of the occasions I met Blaze Bailey. Oh, wow. I went to go and see Fozzy play a little club in Birmingham here, uh, sort of just a couple of hours north of me where I am in the UK. And it was a band called Hardcore Superstar, who are like a, a sort of throwback to the sort of 80s glam days, but maybe a bit edgier. They're, they're, they're quite good. And Fozzy were on the bill as well. And I was stood there watching Jericho, you know, that he played Judas and all this. something. Okay, I'm going to go to the bar now, go to the toilet. And, uh, as I'm walking by, there's this little guy, little bold dude, just leant against the wall with a pint in his hand, just watching the band. And I sort of did the proper, uh, I suppose, uh, cartoon double take because I walked past and I literally walked backwards back where he was and stopped and looked at him and then carried on walking again and then stopped again and was like, because Ben, I'd, I'd uh, partaken in, shall we say, certain things that people in, indulge in when sure, they're sure. at. A live concert, show. yeah, of course. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and I was a bit like, "Am I seeing that for real?" Or... <laughs> so I went back again, and this time he sort of smiled at me because he must be thinking, "Ah, oh, 
bollocks. Some <laughs> bloody drunken idiots recognise me here. So I sort of walked along and said, you're Blaze Bailey. Anyway, anyway, yes, I am. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, and, and I don't know why I asked this next question. It's one of the most stupid things to ever come out of my mouth. He's leaned against the wall, watching Chris Jericho perform with Fozzie. And, uh, and he lives in the, in the Midlands, not in Birmingham, but Birmingham is part of the area referred to in the UK as the Midlands. He lives around that area. And the next thing that comes up my mouth is, what are you doing here? <laughs> and, and I look back now, it's the most stupid thing I've ever said. Blaze kind, Blaze kind of looked at me and just sort of went, um, I'm, I'm watching the band. <laughs> what are you doing? And I was like, uh, of course you are. What a knobhead. Why did I say that? You know? So, and then it gets a little bit worse as well because... I'd seen Blaze perform with Wolfsbane, his other band, a few times, and seen him perform solo a few times as well. And his friend comes back from the bar with another pint for Blaze and another, you know, beer for himself. And I sort of said, "Oh, excuse me, you know, here's my phone. Would you mind taking a picture of of, of me and me and Blaze?" And this guy was lovely, absolutely fantastic. Blaze put his pint down and pulled a funny face and did this funny thing with his hands. And I saw, I mean, he's, he's only a little guy as well, Blaze. He's quite tiny. So I sort of crouched down a little bit. So I was level with him. <laughs> I'm quite tall and I got this picture taken. And I, I got my phone, my phone back off, off the guy who took the picture. And he was kind of, I wouldn't say acting weird, but kind of shuffling around a little bit, looking at me and looking at Blaze. And I said, oh, thanks then. I'll, I'll leave you. I don't want to be a nuisance to the guy. I've got a million and one questions, but I don't want to be a nuisance to the guy. He's on a night out with his friend. And it wasn't until the following day that I dug out one of my Blaze Bailey albums oh, to listen to, inspired by this, that I realised that the guy who I basically rather abruptly asked him to take a picture was actually Blaze Bailey's guitarist. Oh, God. So he... <laughs> and he's there with Blaze in the album covers. And I'm like, oh, you knobhead. You know, so... <laughs> Fucking alcohol, man. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, he must have been. I, I wonder if Blaze wound him up afterwards when he doesn't know who you are. Nobody's here to see you. <laughs> there we go. That's fantastic. It reminds me of like, this is my nerdy side coming out, but with Infinity War, when this kids ask the Hulk for a picture, then Ant Man takes it and Ant Man's like, I'll take a picture with you too. And they don't know who he is. It's really funny. <laughs> anyway. It's like the Marvel version of that. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> So then, okay, yeah. So we we did Brave New World. Uh, is it No More Lies is next, right? Or uh, well, there's two from the next uh, the Dance of Death album that we referenced just momentarily ago. We have Rainmaker and No More Lies. Yes, that they follow on from each other on the album as well. And Rainmaker is it's another one of those moments where I, I don't know why, but I had concerns about what was going to follow Brave New World. I shouldn't have in any stretch. But again, it's that thing of, I don't, it's, you put your heroes up on a pedestal, don't you? For and sure. It's that, yeah. And it's that thing of, I don't want to be let down by this. I don't want, I don't want Maiden to release an album and it sucks because I'll be gutted. <laughs> and, <laughs> we heard about this Dance of Death album they were doing and there was going to be almost medieval signs on the title track. And uh, and the, 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 the album cover is, you know, figures at this kind of masquerade ball and so on and Eddie's there in the middle of the dance floor and and it's all reference to this dance of death and the title track as well you that was played on um on a on a rock radio station because by this point in time they had them here in the UK and um it, it's almost like certain guitar licks that sort of go into that kind of 
medieval ballroom dance and you imagine people all sat around the open fire and and jesters there and all that sort of stuff and it was a good track i liked it but i'm thinking oh we're not going to go too far into this kind of concept idea of certain you know certain moments influencing the actual sound rather than making it a good a well-written song and then rainmaker was released as the first single and the the video i don't know where i caught it we I'm a, i think by this point we might have had uh mtv or kerrang had its own tv station here in the uk for a while but i was flicking through the channels and Rainmaker came on. The, the video for the new single came on. And it was just a great a great rock song. The video looked great. The guys all stood there playing in the rain and Bruce was running all over the place. And, and a lot of Iron Maiden videos are just footage of them playing live. This was actually a, a, a pro shot music video, which was quite unique. For, for me as a Maiden fan, anyway, quite unique seeing this rather than footage of them just playing live or was, running around an empty factory or something. Yeah, no, I was curious about that, their video, like their music video kind of journey, right? Because mm-hmm. I that kind of was my thinking when we were kind of talking about their earlier stuff. It was like a lot of people, that's how they got recognition, right? If they weren't on the radio, they, they had a music video somewhere, so, you know? Yes. And a lot of bands have this kind of complicated history with making music videos. Like Tom Petty always directed and wrote his own. That was a non-starter for him. He was like, it's mine, all of it. We're doing it my way. And like Pearl Jam didn't do any music videos for several years because they were like, no, like black is enough. And then that whole thing with Jeremy where they got um, edited and everybody thought, everybody mistook it for a school shooting when it was actually a suicide um, in in a classroom. And Mm -hmm. So, you know, like there's all these really great bands that have these complicated histories with um, music videos. And I was like, hold on, I'm pretty sure the only music videos I've ever seen of Iron Maiden are just live clips, right? Or like, yeah, yeah them performing live or like you said, like in a factory somewhere, they're just like, ah, set up a camera, it's fine. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's, yeah. um, there's a couple that are sort of slightly, slightly deviate from the live performance aspect. Majority of them are, you're right, footage of them performing live. Right. Um, but you get, so for example, Be Quick or Be Dead, which was the the lead single from the Fear of the Dark album. Mm-hmm. They are basically in like an, an industrial estate, like full of factories and warehouses. And just the camera is just sp- spanning around really fast. It's a very, very quick song, Be Quick or Be Dead. And it's them just playing in this, I suppose, almost like a car park, I guess. And, and that was a bit of a deviation. Um, Holy Smoke is another one. Uh, and that's a song about um, preachers who are conning people into paying them money for, you know, you, you know, the sort on, on the TV late at night and sure. all that sort Evangelist, of thing. In evangelical right. ministers. Yeah. Yes. And um, for some reason, Bruce is in a meadow or a field and he's jumping in and out of this tall grass and it doesn't quite work for me. But <laughs> yeah, the majority of the time it is live footage. It's footage of them performing live for, for whether it's from a DVD or video or, or just shot purposely for the purpose of, of, of the video. But Rainmaker was very much, and it wasn't the first one they did, but it's the one that really stands out in my mind it's a pro shot video and it's them literally again just stood there as a band playing but you've got the rain and the camera angles are different the way it zooms in on bruce when he sings certain lines and, and i was like this is fantastic and it instantly just made me think this album's going to be as good as the last yeah this is going to be an absolute storming record and i can't wait for it to come out and partially i was right it was a very very good album it wasn't as good as brave new world 
but it was close. It's a good follow-up to a Brave New World. Yes, yes. Right. I like that. I can respect that. And then my list is now, I think it's like all out of order. So we did Rainmaker, and then we did, mm-hmm. are we on No More Lies now? That's right, yeah. No, no More Lies, Lies is on the same album. And uh, No More Lies is similar to some of the tracks that I've already named. It's just a great song. It's just... It's a banger. It's just, it's an, uh, yeah, it's a great song. <laughs> We're going to start saying that now. It's a banger. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, again, you, get, you get the kind of similar to uh, Brave New World on the previous album. It, it's the, the slow beginning, and then it kicks in, and you get the time changes. And I mean, there's not much more I can add to it, really, other than I just think it's a really, really good record. And it's Maiden sounding like Maiden. But yeah. in 2004 or whenever it was released, it's it's uh, 2003. Sorry, it's it's absolutely fantastic, and it actually led to me meeting one of my best friends. Oh, I was cool. working as a security guard at the time. Incredibly boring, horrible job. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Oh, I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> I was working in a local supermarket, and I effectively how old was I in 2004? I'd have been 23, 24ish, and effectively all i would do would stand at the door and smoke that was, that was, that was it. There, was no, there was nothing else for me to do and that this this guy and his wife pull up in this clapped out old peugeot 405 car and it, it's a tank but it's a wrecked tank this car and this guy gets out and he's got a scraggly beard and a, a weird kind of you know mullet effort haircut and he's he's obviously old, much older than than i was but he's walking over to me and he's wearing a Dance of Death Iron Maiden tour shirt with No More Lies written on it. And of course, I'm straight away like, oh, wow, okay. And I, was, and I knew the tour dates as well. Um, and I was like, are you going or have you just come back? And it turned out that they'd gone to see them in Cardiff in Wales the previous night. That's where you saw WWE. Sorry? That's where you saw WWE last month or two months ago. It is, yeah. Very much, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And uh, we struck up a conversation literally because of his No More Lies tour t-shirt. And even now to this day, his name his name is Alan. And he's um, he's in his probably mid-60s now. So he's again 15, 20 years older than I. And he lived through all of this music first time round. And me and him just kind of hit it off that day when he was talking to me at work and we ended up going for a few beers and we just got this common love for this particular type of music. And he's still, to this day, one of my best friends. Yeah, That's awesome. That's fantastic. I love that. It is really neat. Yeah. So then had you guys been at the same show at the same time or were you, did you go to different tour dates of the same tour? Not, not for Maiden. Okay. But we had, we have since, we've seen bands together since. So there's a little tiny venue in Gloucester called the Guildhall, and they get quite small acts in there. It only takes about 500 people. Um, but there are certain acts that were big in the day that come and play this venue now that we, we've been together. We've seen Maiden together a few more times ourselves. Um, but yeah, there's been, it turns out from evenings around his, having a few beers, that we have seen the same concerts on the same tours in the same venues on the same day. <laughs> And not known. I didn't didn't know each other. As, as far as both of us had travelled from Gloucester to London, which is a good few hour drive, and to see I don't know who we saw that day. I can't remember who it might have been Black Sabbath, but we travelled a long distance to see the same show and then come but, but didn't meet and had didn't know each other. And this had happened on numerous occasions as well. That's really cool. Um, Fantastic. Going all that. over the place. And we'd seen so many of the same shows and he had the same tour shirts as me and everything. 
I like but that. we've never actually crossed paths before. See, like that's happened to me at work where like, you know, I'll start working somewhere and then I'll see somebody's shirt and I'll be like, oh, did you go, you know, at this location or, you know, that like this month or whatever. And it's been a few times like I where we work now, um, the our, the VP of my old department had been to the same Iron Maiden concert that I had been had been to. And I was like, oh, dude, I've been there. And like there was a, a little punk. Well, it was like a little punk club, Bogarts in Cincinnati, and it's small. I mean, it's probably the size of the our downstairs. Just. I've never been inside. I've lived next to it for five years, but never been inside. It's okay, but here's the <laughs> okay. thing about it: like, it is. It used to be what a rock club is supposed to be, right? Like, it's sticky because grungy, you know, right? Yeah, you you need somebody to stand on the other side of the bathroom stall to make sure nobody tries to like bust in your door because it doesn't <laughs> lock. Like, it's that kind of place. And then I went as like an adult. Uh, like 10 years ago and I was like what the fuck is this they, have <laughs> they remodeled a, it yeah it's like, got locked bathroom doors well first of all <laughs> they have bathroom doors that are closed but also like the lighting they had like ambiance lighting and they had <laughs> right like, yeah and they had like an outdoor patio for the smoking section dude no back That's in the weird. day you just hid what you were smoking in the middle yeah. of where you were smoking it. You didn't go outside <laughs> on this like beautifully lit patio and do your thing. Yeah. I mean, that street short vine used to be a pretty rough neighborhood. Oh, it is still a rough neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, you don't park there. Like there's, you know, we call it the Crow Ghetto. There's a little, yep. like a Kroger that people get shot at or this stabbed a grocery store or whatever. Area. Yeah. Yep. So, but yeah, I mean like, you know, there's all of this like really inner city shit going on, but I, I went as a, youth a lot a lot and then as an adult when i went and they like cleaned it up i was like oh i mean that's great for the city they're you know financed or whatever but also where's my grunge you know like where's the risk that i am taking to walk into this building right i get it but yeah i mean i don't i just i miss that i miss the stickiness we had, uh, we had a uh, Gloucester is um, famous for a few things. I mean, first of all, the, the cathedral, which is where they filmed Doctor Who and Harry Potter and all this sort of stuff. Oh, okay. Um, and then we have um, the serial killer Fred West. We're quite renowned for him. And um, <laughs> she knows who Fred West is. I do. <laughs> That's tragic. Well, I'm really the, sorry. <laughs> uh, the, the House of Horrors, as it got you know wonderfully named in in the media, uh, 25 Cromwell Street is probably about 10 minutes from where I'm sat right now. If you, if I was to walk it, we've talked about that before. Dude. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's not there anymore. It's a, a, a little pokey street where all the houses are linked. They're all terraced houses. And where, so it's literally like one long line of buildings divided up into houses. And where um, the rest, the Wests live, that house is just not there anymore. It's just a gap in the houses where they, there's an alleyway and, and a bit of grass and so on. That's, that's all that's there. That's probably the, appropriate. The, another <laughs> thing, <laughs> the other thing is the, the docks where Gloucester docks is quite a historic uh, place and, um, you know, there's lots of buildings and warehouses there that go back hundreds of years. And we used to have a little bar there um, that backed onto the water, funnily enough, called the Waterfront. And it was a bit of a biker's <laughs> bar when I was sort of 17, 18, maybe a bit younger. Don't listen to them. And um, I used to go down there quite a bit. And again, that was very much sawdust on the floor. Everything was made of wood. It was all a bit sticky and a bit gross and so on. Yeah. And my son turned 18 last year. And my... Mum, sorry, my uh, mother-in-law, my father-in-law took the whole family out for something to eat for his 18th. 
and we were sat in this place in Gloucester Docks because it's all been renovated now. Gloucester Docks has all been redone and turned. All these old warehouses have been turned into swanky wine bars and all this sort of stuff. And we're sat in this restaurant, and I'm, I'm having something to eat with my son, my wife, my, my daughters, and, and my in-laws, and that. And I'm thinking, this looks familiar. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I, sort of, I, I get up and I go to go to the toilet, and I'm having these flashbacks of, <laughs> of, of scenes from my youth when I was, you know, some some 25 years earlier. And it turns out the bar that I used to go to, this dingy, shitty little rock club, was where we were sat having this meal. <laughs> Well, that was it then. I was off. I was wandering all over the place. Like, like, I can't see the shit. Like, what's I, was it like now? I was like, oh, yeah. And I met that girl over there and I got mugged over there and I tried to drink over there. It was, it was so, so weird. Such a weird scenario. Yeah. That's awesome, though. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, like, that, that kind of, I like when that kind of stuff happens because yeah. it's like, I like the overlap where you find out, like, oh, you went to the same place that I went to or, oh, you know, but then, yeah, revisiting places that. That's. That's like how it is here. You go into Dayton right now, all of those breweries are just old factories and shit. Yeah, that's Like, weird. you know what I mean? Like, it's so weird how everything is just changing into something else. Yeah, and they're like, it, places that have been like abandoned buildings are being turned into places that you have to like reserve a table. Yeah. Yeah, it's super strange. It is. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely <laughs> insane. So then you follow up, uh, where were we? We were on No More Lies. Right. And then the, for the greater good of God, this this one interested me because they t they do a lot of theology, I think. And they yes. talk a lot about religion and stuff. So, you know, why this one? I the, the first time I saw Maiden was on this tour. OK. OK. The first time I saw them um, outside of a festival, then, shall we say. Were they like that um, main like headliner yeah. or whatever? OK. Yeah. And they played this album in its entirety. And it's uh, it's called a matter of life and death, and it's all based upon um, the First World War and certain battles, and and it's an incredible piece of songwriting. Again, it's it, all the way through the themes and the, you're singing about different battles, different aspects from different viewpoints, and so on. This one here literally asks the question though about religion and fighting for religion, and is it really? None of the guys in Maiden are particularly religious. But it almost asks the question of, you're fighting for your God. Would your God want you to kill these people in his name or her name or on their behalf? And there's just a few lines in it and a few moments in it from a, from a lyrical standpoint that are just incredibly thought-provoking and, and really sort of make you think, well, okay, well, this is... Well, it's just very, very deep. And, you know, the, the, the opening lines, you know, asking, are you a man of peace or a man of holy war? Because even tagging the word holy onto war means you're not a man of peace. You're there to kill people. Right. Just in the in the name of a book or the, in the name of a religious character. or in the, I mean, I, I'm not massively religious myself, but I would never begrudge anybody for their own faith or their own beliefs, regardless of which uh, whichever religion they may, they may be a part of. Sure. But... I think you can, uh, with pretty much every war in the history of this planet, can be traced back in some way or shape or form to a religious reason for the conflict starting. Whether that's a belief that certain areas of the world belong to a certain race or wh whatever it may well be. And this song really is asking the question of, is that what your God would want, though? I like that. I mean, no, that's a pretty... 
It's deep. Yeah, it came out and this came out in 06. So you think about where we were too politically. Oh, makes sense. Yeah, we right. were over in um, Afghanistan, Afghanistan, Iraq, in Iran. Middle East. Yeah, I mean, and that's not a new conflict. No, by any stretch, mm. and or it wasn't then either. I mean, no, that was something that had time. been gone on since since like you know the Holy War. Our invasion, like our participation in it, I think was like in the the eighties and stuff. But yeah, I mean. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that that's a fair question. I like the way that you put it, too, because it's like, you know, if you're just because you tack the word holy in front of it, it's still a yeah. war. Yep. And to be involved in a war, you're not a man of peace. And I always kind of thought about that myself, too, because it's like what what makes you so certain that what you're thinking is more right than what somebody mm-hmm. else is thinking or believing, you know, and yeah, it's a moral compass more than it is anything else. So, yeah. And it, it also, there's certain lines in the song as well that almost, they point at the absurdity of war. It, it's that thing of people dying over, over stuff. I don't want to get too political or too bogged up because this, you know, I, I don't want to drag all that sort of stuff up, but it's that there, there are young men and women sent to fight and dying over an argument politicians may have had or a disagreement over whatever when surely the better alternative is literally just to sit down and talk in the first place. And if you can't come to some form of mutual agreement in that discussion, then you talk again and you talk again and you talk again, rather than going down the road of this, you know, fighting for what you believe is right, or sometimes even worse people being made to fight for a cause that they don't even believe in, but it's, it's there. They've been called to arms. Sure. And, there are certain uh, lines or verses in this song that really point at how just how stupid some of these wars have been. I mean, there's there's a segment in the song where I don't know who said it. I don't know if it was Bruce Dickinson or Steve Harris or there was somebody in an interview spoke about this certain segment in this song, and it's almost like a caption away from the tale itself because it's it's referenced to. They explained it effectively as though that somebody who has no idea about what war is, what love is, what life is, and so on, asking questions. So almost like an alien coming down to Earth and asking, well, why is this happening? And the, the, the lines are, um, please tell me now what life is. So this, this, this being, this figure, this person is asking, what is life? What is this, you know, being alive? What is it? And now please tell me what love is. So then the person explains what, what love is and, and, you know, and all this sort of stuff. And then they ask the question, so tell me now what war is. So this person then has to explain about, I suppose, the loss of life and so on. And then the last line of that section of the song is, after they've had this explanation, again, tell me what life is. And it just points at how absurd some of these conflicts can be. And the loss of life is just unnecessary. And again, it's just... Is Iron Maiden almost holding a mirror up to society? I think, which is something they've done their whole career, and just pointing out, look, this is this is stupid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> this is and, stupid, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's a banger. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. fuck yeah! <laughs> oh it's, it's got this punchiness as well, hasn't it? The beginning is um, again quite a slow one, but then when it kicks in with with the the drums and the bass and Bruce's vocals as well, almost mirroring the drums because it's very it's delivered in a very punchy way. Yeah, it's very da 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 da, and and I think that really uh, and the, that really sort of 
sets aside from other moments on this album as well. So yeah, I, I just love this record. I think it's fantastic. Yep. No, I like that too. I mean, cause like my brother was a big fan. My brother was also in the military. He got sent to Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, in Korea, right? No, he no. was going to go be sent. Go. Gotcha. He was going to be sent to Kuwait. Um, oh, Kuwait. But yeah, I mean, you know, so he was involved in a lot and j- to see him go from, you know, that bubbly little kid, right? Like that mm. he was kind of like if Jack Black was blonde and, you know, not famous or well-funded, <laughs> but just that like really uncontrollable ball of loud <laughs> and yeah. just bouncing around. And then to see how that, what, how quiet he was after being involved in those kinds of conversations and stuff. It, it And for the fact that the song was based on world war one, but f- you know what, like a hundred years later that, the topics are still pretty similar, right? Like uh-huh. the things that the passions and the way that people react and all that we haven't learned as you, as, as like a human race, we really haven't learned. So no, I think, and yeah, you're right. It's a banger. <laughs> 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 and then you end it with man on the edge. Yeah. And this is again, one of those songs that is, I suppose one of those songs that means a lot to me because of the timing of it. Mm -hmm. This was the first single from when Blaze Bailey joined the band. And I spoke earlier on about Top of the Pops and uh, not getting any airplay and all this sort of stuff. Iron Maiden were on Top of the Pops with this single. And it blew my tiny little 14-year-old mind. (laughs) (laughs) It's... I mean, the, the song itself, Man on the Edge, it's, it's about a guy basically having a bit of a breakdown. And Blaze Bailey wrote a great deal of this song. And it, he has said in previous interviews that this was based upon the, the film Falling Down with um, Michael Douglas. Okay. I don't know if you've seen that. I have not. Um, okay. And it's a guy basically who's lost his job. There's a traffic jam. And he basically slowly, bit by bit, just loses the plot and ends up you know, just acting crazy and and it's almost like the pressures of real life affecting i mean i won't if you've not seen it i won't speak more to it because there's a few twists towards the end that are fantastic and if i tell you those it would completely ruin the film for you but that the lyric in the middle as well falling down is obviously a direct reference to the film falling down <laughs> and again it's in the one scene he goes in because he wants to order some breakfast from what looks like a kind of McDonald's or Burger King, a burger place anyway. And he's like three minutes late. And he's like, can't you just make me some breakfast? <laughs> and they're like, no, because we're on the lunch menu now. And he's like, well, I don't want lunch. I want breakfast. And it's all these little things that it's turn true. this guy basically into a bit of a psychopath. <laughs> and it's, it, this song is sort of loosely based upon that film. And again, when, when this was released, it, it was a single. I went, I went and bought the single and I actually got a little box set of it because it was released in two different um, two different CD formats, two different covers. And then if you bought the box set with it, you got all these postcards with pictures of the band and, and all this sort of stuff. And it, quite, quite a cool little set. Um, so I suppose it'd probably be some sort of collector's edition now, I would assume. But yeah, and it's up there with all my Iron Maiden gear. So I played this a great deal. And this is also a song that my little brother adored and got into Iron Maiden through because he was born in 87. So when this came out, he would have been seven or eight years of age. We shared a ring and 
I was playing this album and these singles because they were new. And he got into our main via the Blaze Bailey era because that's the age he was at. And Blaze Bailey is still one of his favorite singers to this day. He absolutely adores the guy. And a lot of it was because of that time frame. But I remember Top of the Pops being on and um, there was talk of Maiden were in the top 20 or whatever it may well be. And at the very beginning of the show, the person hosting it said, oh yeah, we, we have Iron Maiden to perform Man on the Edge. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God, Iron Maiden are going to be on top of the Pops. <laughs> and it, it turned out they were actually on tour at the time and they were in Israel. So, and again, it's on YouTube. You type in Iron Maiden top of the Pops. It's on YouTube. And it's, they, they have performed it in the studio as well, but this particular time I saw them, they were in Israel on top of this kind of, it looks like it sort of ancient ruins or old buildings. So it's all dusty and sandy and really sort of atmospheric for that, that part of the world. And then there's just Iron Maiden set up with their amps and their drums and, and Blaze Bailey running around singing this song. And it's, I also liked it as well because I completely misheard the lyrics for so many years. There's a section in the song that says... Um, uh, I can't remember the line that leads into it, but it's a sort of long lines. Of, there's a hole in the sky for the angels. Oh, he's he's sick of waiting, um, waiting, lying like this. There's a hole in the sky for the angels to kiss. For years before I looked at it properly, and the I thought there was a hole in the sky for the angels to piss. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm talking, I'm talking like very recently in my life i've realized that lyric was wrong like yesterday so I've, been, I've, been, I've been going and seeing this performed live and singing this in the crowd <laughs> you might realize yeah and it's just all these little memories that come from it and i remember sitting in my front room we, we had the one television at the time sitting in the front room and top of the pops was allowed to be on because it was one of the few things my younger sister and i would would watch together so we wouldn't argue my parents would allow it to be on and being just over the moon that Iron Maiden were on top of the pops and sitting there with my mum and my dad and my sister watching this this footage of Iron Maiden in Israel performing this song and it's also the first actual single I bought myself as opposed to an album so and it's a banger <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah I mean no it, Angels Kissing and Angels Pissing those are two very distinctly Indeed. different messages <laughs> and nobody has corrected you over the years until recently no. Well, no one even corrected me for me to find out. I actually read it online. Oh, nice. oh there you go. So, I mean, and it was one of those moments where you look at it and you sort of go, huh. <laughs> now, that, it... does, that does make more sense, actually, in the song. <laughs> <laughs> now, back in the day when you were reading the records while you were listening, you would never make that mistake. Yeah. This is true. 